Today's episode is brought to you by Reef Builders, winner of Best of Howes, five years running. Reef Builders is a Tempe, Arizona-based, full-service design-build construction company. What's a design-build company? It means you deal with one company for everything. Reef Builders is able to take your vision and bring it to life by drawing your plans, producing photorealistic, high-resolution 3D renderings of your kitchen, baths, and more, helping you design and pick your finishes, and finally, executing that vision. With their years of building experience and a superior client experience, using tools such as online project management software through their client portal that allows you to see your renovation in real time. Whether you're in town, on vacation, or living in another state, you have access to job progress photos, your build schedule, financials, and much more anywhere in the world. So if you're looking for a complete bath or kitchen renovation, a complete home renovation, a custom home designed and built, or a boutique commercial project built out, Reef Builders can deliver it. Reef Builders. Your vision, their experience, delivered. Hey everybody, welcome back to Make the Difference. We are about to do another tactical hour. Today's episode is going to be again with my co-host Chris Stewart and the great and powerful and wise Don Abbott. So I am not going to get into Don's background because although I did have the privilege of uh, learning from him in a training course um, on line of duty desk, I don't know much about the man. So Chris? Yeah, well thank you very much and uh, I just want to say thanks for Don for uh driving all the way across town on a, on an early morning to uh to uh hang out with us um so don is a subject matter expert actually in a lot of things but his most recent project is project mayday and it's the evaluation and the measurement of fire service maydays um uh nationally uh over a uh, a five-year time period and so um this, uh, uh, Don, correct me if I'm wrong, we're up to six, roughly 6,000 Maydays? 6,451. To be exact, that's fantastic. So um, so I asked Don to come down and talk about uh, what is it that they're learning. Well, we'd like to learn about him a little bit. We'd like to learn about the study itself and how it came about and, and, how it, and, and who's actually funding it, because I think that's an interesting part of this. And then what part of the uh, of information that you're gaining now is most um, important to uh, battalion chiefs, to company officers, and to um, people who are actually leading the training uh, in fire organizations. And that can be company officers doing doing training for their, uh, their crews inside firehouses. That can be battalion chiefs in battalions. And that could be department-wide training as well. So I think Don's uniquely positioned to actually have a really, really interesting uh, uh perspective on that. So Don, if you wouldn't mind start and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you come from and, uh, and, and what brought you to Phoenix and then, uh, and then uh, onto the Mayday study. Um, after I got, uh, discharged from the uh, army, I was a medic in, um, combat experience. And, um, one of the things that I went into was EMT and then went into EMS, then went into fire in the Indianapolis area. I guess for 20, almost 26 years, uh, retired out of uh, Indianapolis uh, as uh, basically assistant chief in charge of special operations. Then uh, my wife and I uh, had been doing a business on the side called Abbottville, 
Um, it was a model diorama. It was 12 by 24 feet. It had uh, 300 different buildings. Unbelievable detail. Yeah. Uh, we would set fire to them, blow them up. We actually used real incidences, mainly where there were line-of-duty deaths, and basically went through and explained what happened in those incidences and how did their actions compare to uh, the original incident itself. So we did that for about 10 years. Uh, we were on the road 40 weeks a year, 36 states a year. And uh, naturally, after 10 years, started getting older and tireder. And uh, one day, we were in New Hampshire uh, doing a program with Chief Bernasini, who I had known for quite some time. And he made a nice job offer to move from uh, cold and snowy Indianapolis to uh, warm and pleasant uh, Phoenix. And basically told me that... Uh, this was his idea, what were mine. And I said, well, if I could take what I'm doing with Abbottville, I would probably put it into computer simulation. So he drew out on a napkin, as he used to do all the time. Yeah, he's pretty famous for that. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, come up with a plan that we were going to take over old Station 30 on 27th Avenue. And so my wife and I literally lived in that station for a year as we basically built the, the, the uh, props, we built uh, uh, the simulations, we set up all the computers, we did everything that you need to do. And then we opened it up to initially uh, training company, or excuse me, chief officers, later company officers, and then we opened it up to all the uh, to the uh, Valley-wide fire departments on a once a quarter basis, so that we were all on the same page of whatever we were looking at. Um, and then, after I retired, after uh, uh, eight years here in Phoenix, um, started doing some instruction work and teaching. And um, one day I was having breakfast with Chief Bernasini, and one of the things that we discussed was uh, May Days. And uh, one of the comments that he made was is that it was really interesting to see what people were saying because it was all after the fact. Nobody was doing much to prevent May Days. And so he put a, a thought in my head. I went back and discussed it with my wife, who has a fire service background also. And uh, we decided that let's do some research. So I went to the fire academy, uh, found nothing. Uh, went to NFPA and found nothing in regards to tracking and statistics and data. That was a National Fire Academy? Yes, in National. Yes. Yeah. What is, I do, you have to talk to me like I'm dumb because I am. So can you guys elaborate on that a little more because people won't know what that yeah. is? Yeah, the National Fire Academy has a large library and uh, it's really well done and it's got a lot of great stuff, but it did not have what we were sort of looking for. Too many pop-up books? Yes. Well, <laughs> not necessarily pop-up books. A lot of their stuff is old. You know, I mean, it's not been very updated. Um, then I went to NFPA thinking, well, these are the people that write the standards. These are the people that should have the information and come to find out that really wasn't the case either. They had some stuff, but they didn't have what we were literally looking for. So basically starting putting some things together, I knew two professors, uh, Dr. Bennett and Dr. Bevermeyer, who taught statistics and analytics, sat down with them on a couple of different uh, occasions and basically come up with a surveying idea. Uh, so we divided uh, what we were going to do into three components. Component one was 
everything you need to know about a fire department. Number of stations, square miles, number of people, number of engines, number of ladders, SOPs, trainings, all that kind of stuff. Then the second component was going to be on the May Day itself. We came up with 164 questions just on a May Day. And then when our third component was going to be, what did you do to fix what just happened? And uh, one and two went well. Three, a lot of people weren't doing three because they didn't think it was ever going to happen again to them. So we sort of put our heads in the sand and just hopes it goes away and it doesn't happen again, when in reality we, we know it does. It's just maybe a different type of May Day. Does, do you think that has something to do with uh, the fact that we really don't know how to prevent that or we're not uh, um, – we're so we're so stuck in uh, the way we do things because we were yes. talking about this earlier that we weren't sure what to do or how to actually address it afterwards as a, as a fire service. I believe so. I think that that uh, we we don't go we don't use strate- uh, basically data or statistics except in fire prevention or for budgetary reasons, and we've never looked at it as a prevention tool. And I think that's what we have tried to do is I, uh, I ran across a book and it's called Left a Bang. It's oh, yeah. a fantastic yeah, book. Oh, okay. Yeah. And after reading it, I, I suddenly realized you substitute the word soldier for firefighter, platoon leader for company officer, and company officer for battalion chief. And as a result, we started looking at Left a Bang because Left a Bang's about preventing the incident. What we do, like the military used to do and still does in some respects, they look at it at the back end, you know, you know, and that's not what we want. We want to prevent May Days. So that's the approach we started taking in, in our second year is really concentrating on what can we do to prevent May Days. For the, just to make it clear and to make sure we're all operating off the same definition, can we define what a mayday truly is in the fire service because a mayday in other arenas is a little bit different like a mayday in 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 the um in the sea or being a boat captain is is very different than being you know mayday like on the fire ground so can you guys kind of shed a little bit more light onto that well that's a that's an interesting thing because i think there's multiple definitions in the american fire service wonderful because i know how the (laughs) iaff defines it um and uh um, and I think I actually feel like I define it slightly more narrow than, say, the IFF and the Fire Ground Survival um, Program does. Don, uh, do you do you have a standard Mayday definition that you operate off? Of? We pretty much go with it that if you can't exit the hazard zone safely under conditions that make it worse then you need to call a mayday yeah, and with, what you when you're without assistance if you can exit yeah. the hazard zone uh in in a safe manner yeah. without assistance um uh I, that to me is uh, well or, i don't want them i still want them to call the mayday even if i can get myself out because things may uh, happen enough, yeah. that won't let me exit first thing i need to say is not everybody in the country uses the term mayday a lot of parts in the southeast red alert uh, other parts of the country, it's what they call PEs, personal emergencies. <laughs> and until we get on the same page and call them May Days, that's important. But you need to, and part of the problem is in when 1500, the, the NFPA standard sort of set 
the Health and Safety Foundation for the Fire Service. Uh, Chief Bernasini was the chair, and it was sort of amazing in talking to him because it was one of the first times he ever lost a vote. And the vote basically was... Well, not at home. Not at home, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the basic uh, was is that he wanted to see the term May Day being used. And it got voted down. So when 1500 first came out, it actually had a paragraph that said, do not use the term May Day because it's mainly used in maritime and aviation. Yeah. Now, the next time they met and redid the re- revision... On that edition, they added May Day. Because, call come back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he didn't lose yeah. it long. Yeah, 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 he didn't lose it long. But at the same time, it was one of those deals where we still don't agree on what that is. And that a May Day is a May Day, but depending upon where you are in the country, what your SOPs say, they may not always be called May Days. So let's, let's go a little bit further down that rabbit hole, a little bit farther. So um, hazard zone, define the hazard zone, because it could be... More than just the fire hazards on Yeah, it's, yes. it's any, any any situation, any environment in which the we're having to implement our risk management Active process. Shooter. Uh, yeah, it, it, where, when we're having to inter- interject or utilize our our strategic decision making, more specifically our risk management plan, where you're starting to identify risks to you based on the work that you're doing and why you would be taking those risks. That that is that is defined by a hazard zone. So that can be the fire ground that could be an EMS scene that could be a violent incident scene that can be a hazardous materials incident that can be a technical rescue incident sure. this wide spectrum of things that we actually go on regularly yeah would you agree Don oh yes we just had uh, uh, just a few weeks ago a uh, an engine that ran into a tree and the company officer and the engineer operator were both basically pinned by the dashboard mm. they called a mayday Right. Because they were going to need assistance in getting out. They weren't yeah. getting out on their own. Well, that's a May Day. Locally here, um, you know, we just had that horrible accident with uh, an engine company on the west side of Phoenix. Um, the engine company that was driving behind them, that company officer called a May Day. Gotcha. Uh, and you know that this this company had been in an accident and and subsequently rolled over right. and they were witnesses to it and he got on the radio and called a May Day. Yeah, and that's the way it should be. I mean, it, if you're in a bad situation and it's only getting worse, you call the May Day, regardless whether it's an automobile accident or whatever. We've had, and it occurred here in Phoenix, uh, we've had an engineer who's outside the building call a May Day because they lost all water, their water yeah. supply. That's, so as yeah. a result, yeah. he called the May Day because the time, by the time the guys inside would realize it, they're in trouble. For sure, absolutely. So he called it probably a minute and a half before they would have. So I think that we can't put a, a put May Days in a box. If you're I in trouble, you're call in trouble. Yeah. Or yeah. or you're anticipating trouble, trouble based on yeah. something you just saw. Call a May Day, and I'm really proud of that engineer. By the way, oh yeah, I am too. Yeah. And I think. One of our problems is that we've sort of ingrained into the culture, don't call a May Day unless you absolutely have to. And the reality is we have a lot of firefighters, especially in entanglement situations, that are slow to call the May Day, if at all, because they think they can get out of it. Yeah, I could fix this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right, but well, what what happens when you become unconscious now and you can't call the May Day? Yeah, that's going to be a little tough. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, I think getting people to realize, call the May Day, because if you fix it, we can always cancel it and go back to work. But it's hard to, to basically recover from some of these May Days when you become semi-conscious, unconscious, uh, no longer have a, a, the, the uh, ability to process all the information you need to make good decisions. So I think you have one of the best views of the of the all the national policies as it comes to comes to uh, uh, with May Day. Um, in in your evaluation of it, um, are you seeing departments that have policies and procedure that discourage calling May Days, or there is there's consequences potentially to calling a May Day? There are some, wow. and I think those numbers are getting smaller. As they should. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Should. You should not be afraid to call a May Day because you may end up getting a day off work because they go back and they review oh, wait, your Yeah, because they want to evaluate the May Day. Oh, that really wasn't a May Day. You shouldn't have called that. Yes. I'd get a shift off for that? Could. Oh, man. How the fuck? That sounds great. <laughs> call it one every day? No, 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 no. <laughs> how do I get Christmas off? Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. But, and, and part of the problem is, is our culture sort of – accept some of this, and then there's other things they won't accept. And, and it really is based on a department because there's one part department in particular, I think they've sent us three or four May Days. And this is still a department that views that when you call a May Day, you, you've got a personal problem. You didn't take training seriously. You, you know, gotcha. It's more your problem than it is our problem. Gotcha. And I think most departments now are realizing no, it's our problem sure, because yeah, it's it just is. not one person; it's three. It's not three; it's six. So, so a little more, a little more background because I know he's probably already thinking of Chris the Thompson, our forty-four media guy. He's probably like, I need to know some of this information. Like, let's talk about the risk management profile or plan and what that is and why that's important and how that plays into a mayday. Well, so I can yeah, I, just, I, I can sure. define it here uh, locally. For what us. happens and when you call a mayday? Do all firefighters draw what they're doing and make way to the scene? So yeah, this, yeah, this, this yeah, is all good. That's good yeah, this is all good background be. stuff. That um, yeah. too. Well, you want me to? You know, I'll give this one a shot, Don. Uh, so well, in Phoenix, in the Phoenix system and in the Phoenix regional area, the risk management plan is a is a component of our strategic decision making process. And then strategic decision making process is size up. <laughs> risk management, strategy, and incident actions. And then there's review and revise that actually goes along with that too. Um, and that's the, the critical thinking process that we use on scene to you know, figure out what's happening, uh, understanding how much risk I should act, really apply here. Is this something where I'm dealing with legitimately savable things or legitimately savable property? And then employing the appropriate tactic and, and actions. And are we willing scenarios. to risk our lives for that? Yeah, exactly. Yes. And so the risk management plan specifically states is what we will risk our lives for and what we will risk our uh, what we won't risk our lives for and it's a little bit of a sliding scale because it starts with we will risk our lives a lot and that's a that's a very loose term a lot and that's exactly the way it's written uh, in a calculated manner for uh, savable lives so when we evaluate a scene and an incident and conditions where we feel like yeah it's a reasonable to think that there's savable lives there there's uh, survival of environments uh, all that that we should be doing uh, it, it's we can tolerate taking a lot of risk. We should be right on that edge. Yeah, uh, but right it's not okay to die. Yeah. So that yeah. it's not uh, there. There's a line there, right? The number one rule of rescue is 
the rescuer can't be killed. Yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a pretty critical yeah. thing yeah. to be actually yeah. your yeah. success yeah. overall. That's the rule. It's hard to rescue somebody when you that die. That goes in the military, that goes in any special. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it does. The rescuer cannot die. Yeah. So, and the yes. second part of that is we'll, we'll take a little bit of a risk in a calculated manner for savable property. You know, something that's potentially replaceable right. or insured or, um, you know, it may mean a lot. You know, a lot of private uh, um, things that are very, very important to people aren't necessarily insured and they're not replaceable. So we should... Uh, be able to take a small amount of risk, but it has to be a very calculated manner, and we have to do it smartly. Well, yeah, like for here, reef builders. If the if the granite shop caught fire, I wouldn't want you want want a company not to stop that fire so it didn't spread to the office. Because even though the granite fabrication shop is down, we can still run our business because our offices are still working. We have computers. Absolutely, and, stuff like and that, I think so. the uh, NFPA statistics are fifty percent, uh, or maybe even greater than fifty percent of all. Businesses that sustain a fire go out of business. Yeah, yeah. for sure. That's yeah. a big deal. That's not good for the economy. No. Yeah. <laughs> if we can't keep businesses based on our work. Um, so, uh, and then the last part is we're not going to take risk for what's lost. Yeah. We shouldn't be doing risky, we shouldn't be initiating risky actions when we can clearly identify something is lost. And then at, at that point, then we start to figure out, okay, what actually is savable? Is other buildings savable? The, the exposures is a, ter- is a term that we use. So, um, In our world, we're going to write, we're basically writing it off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, Don, is that, uh, how widely viewed is that risk management plan? I think it's uh, pretty widely viewed. Uh, and let me add one part to it that's sort of interesting. Just a few days before Bruno died, uh, I met with him, and we talked about a variety of different things. But one of the things we talked about was the risk management plan. And if you if you visualize in most departments, regardless of what you say by word, they've got a, a green background with print, they got a yellow background with print, and then they got a red background with print. That's pretty much how we view it. One of the things I had told Bruno was that I think I've learned in Project May Day is that when most of the time when you look at those uh, plaques or you look at those pr- uh, pictures or whatever that sort of illustrates what a risk management plan should look like, I'm now a firm believer that the yellow color should be much narrower than the green and the red. That makes a ton of sense. You know, it shouldn't be given equal. Why? Because I think sometimes most firefighters in the line of duty that die it's because they're in offensive positions at defensive fires. So I think sometimes we use the marginal part of the risk management plan. We, we see it to be two feet and st- instead of it being maybe four inches so, and compared to the green and, and the red, offensive and defensive. And I think that's one of the things, because when I interview the people on the telephone or if I get a chance actually to do it in person, the May Day victims, one of the things that I asked the incident commanders as well as the victims is, where do you think you were in this risk management plan? And almost all of them, I would say a good 70%, would tell you they're in the yellow. And when we talk about it, you know, okay, I noticed you've got those those uh, pictures all over your, your training building or all over headquarters and stations, but... It's the equal that when you look at the size, you're creating an equal between offensive, marginal, and defensive when that marginal area should be much narrower 
And I don't think we realize or see it that way. We just see it as a three-part problem, and it has an equal amount of, of concern or an equal amount of, of hazard to it. When in reality, when you're in that yellow, you shouldn't be in that yellow for more than 10 minutes, you know. And instead, we're seeing departments that are running in the yellow for 20 and 25 minutes, which really with, tells, with not seeing conditions get better, with not yes. any positive, uh, and that's that progress. offensive position and a defensive fire. And I and worse, and I think in the last three years, I've noticed that for probably more than anything else is that we're seeing firefighters in particular who were taught the risk management plan, but never really taught to understand the risk management plan in regards to decision making. Yeah, and 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 I and I agree with that because you're. It's funny, like that you say when you present something with equal weight, then it's yes. all going to be received equally, right? But yes. but if you literally had a a, a poster that was yeah like half a true size, scale yeah, yes. of it, yeah you know or or even a note like as you're training it like hey if you're in this in this marginal area for an extended period of time you're probably doing it wrong yeah yeah, yeah. and and well and I think it's super important to to, to restate what Don said is it's offensive positions in defensive conditions or yes. defensive environments. That's not survivable for very long. And if you're not actually making it better right now, really, really fast, you need to be done because they're defensive conditions. Right. Your, strategy, your yeah. strategy needs to change quickly. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. And oftentimes that doesn't happen either. And it's primarily because interior crews do not give good radio reports. It's hard, right? It's yeah. hard to give a good well, report when you have zero visibility or like but, you're not going to be able to get it right, maybe 100%. But right. What, what, what we hear out of the 6,000 audio tapes I've got, and I've That's listened it? to every one of them how at can, least twice. How can we only, how can we only six? Well, Don, I'm also That's all gonna, I've got. I'm going to say something here today is, <laughs> okay. is I, we need to acknowledge Mrs. Abbott. Yes. Oh, because yes. Because Mrs. Abbott <laughs> listens to every single one of these too. Yeah. Wow. And if listening to 6,000 Maydays for Don and 6,000 Maydays for his wife and everybody else that participates, if that doesn't take uh, some, uh, if that doesn't smash your soul a little bit because listening to all that craziness, yeah, yes. that's, that's a sadness, big, big right? deal. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a sad and, thing not to listen to. Yeah, and when we listen to these audio tapes, I, I think there's two things that truly jump out, uh, probably more than anything else does, is um, number one, we're not giving good radio reports. And here's what we hear, I would say, 75% of the time. I've got uh, moderate smoke, uh, and and uh, light heat. I've got uh, high level or heavy uh, heat and moderate smoke, whatever. If I'm outside, that doesn't mean jack to me. Yeah, how do you measure that? Yes, because it's not in a book. It's not usually an SOP. So from the inside out, the firefighter or the company officer should be reporting, I've got smoke black under pressure to my knees, and I've shot a ticket to ceiling, and I have 500 degrees. If I'm outside... So be specific. Yes, because that will help me make a decision better than, uh, I've got heavy smoke and i got moderate heat. Those are subjective to the point that by if you've got more experience than I do, then your view of it's going to be different than mine. Absolutely, 100%. Yes. So you, you would want to hear the intensity of, of the heat. Yes. Right? The pressure of the actual smoke. And the color. And color, yes. and you would want to know 
uh, for We're lack of a better way, the location of it or, 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 or how much that smoke is pushing you to your knees. Or, yeah. So or, or, uh, or about down. the conditions and then what does that mean on the inside of that structure? And are you given that report from, uh, uh, a str- uh, an occupancy in a strip mall? Are you giving that report crawling down a hallway in an apartment? S- saying, uh, giving some clues about the environment in which you're in and the information that you're pr- uh, processing. Hey, we're making our way down the hallway. We have these things that you right. just described. That tells me, as an incident commander, a lot. And if you start giving me that information, and I know you're in a large, uh, let's say in a big box, I, I think about Safeway that we burned down here a year and a half ago. Um, the, you know, reports like that in a large occupancy, that there's nothing good about that. I need to, I need to make some decisions right now because of that. And Please. I would probably say distance as well, because if I gave you that same exact report, heavy black smoke, pressurized, we're down on our knees, we're 20 feet into the building versus I'm 120 feet into the building. Yes. That's a whole different yeah. picture for, you I, know, for, I will say this is at least maybe for me, I kind of sucked at distances because there were times when we worked our ass off to get 20 feet into the building and right. it felt like we were 75 feet in the building. Right. And there are other times when we didn't have any obstacles and I would have thought, ah, maybe we're 50 feet in here next. And you actually look back at it and you've got sticks, two sticks of hose in here and we're, we're actually a hundred feet in here. Right. And I, so it, I don't know. I find that tricky. Yeah. It, I, uh, one of the things that we, we promote in project May day is, and I, and again, it's, a lot of it has to do with your ability to afford to do this. But I'm a big fan, if you're pulling 200-foot pre-connect, that that last 50-foot section be of a different color than the other three sections. So that yeah, way you really that way you yeah. know if I'm at the door and I'm all of a sudden seeing red hose instead of white or yellow, oh, we're at 200, and I'm going to let somebody inside know, be advised we're at 150 feet. Because I won't know that usually if I'm on the nozzle. I, I, I just know I've got hose. I'm not quite sure how much. So it I'm hasn't big, run out yet. Yeah. yeah. So I'm a big fan of, of putting a different colored hose at that 200-foot mark so that you know just exactly how far you're into the building. And That's I think, almost fireman proof. Yeah, <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost. almost. Yeah, that is almost yeah. fireman proof. So, yeah. so, Don, if we could talk a little bit about um, – so we've you talked a little bit about the study itself and the questions and the kind of the three components to it, um, and I think one thing you didn't say is you're doing one for the career fire service and one for the volunteer service, right? Yes. And, and is now this, is this paid? Like, is it? Is it well, that's kind of where well, I'm going. Yeah, that's and, and, we're now, no. and we're now doing as a as at a, by a request of some I chiefs, uh, we're now tracking special operations, uh, confined space, uh, rope, high angle, hazmat trench and dive um and i can say one thing and it's not and i don't think i'm speaking out of a turn here for talking about the valley is when i went and spoke to a group of i chiefs recently one of the things i told them is the fire department should not be in the dive business we have killed we'll chuck herman there yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we have you're killed. talking to a navy diver I right know, there i know <laughs> and you know what I'm saying is in the fire service, number one, we don't do enough training to be good at dive, nor do we provide the resources. Plus, we kid ourselves in thinking that we're making rescues 
when we're actually just doing body recovery. You're 100 body recoveries. Yeah, and I think it's, there is a, there is a, a need for it in the type of dive because Chuck Herman, who ran um, Tempe's Fire, yes, uh, sure. Tempe Fire yeah. dive team forever, and he, he he's like, oh, you need to do something. I'm like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to do body recoveries or whatever. Um, but I think there's a need for it. But past a certain depth, I think we shouldn't yes. be doing it. If it's like 10, 15 feet of water, well, like I, I identify as. Yeah. Uh, rescue versus body recovery i think if well, I, we I just tell, stated that as yeah. a mission that'd yeah. be good i tell helpful. people when you look at dive think about going into a big box and how far do you want to go in a big box to do whatever you're going to do whether right. it's fire attack or rescue and it's the same in dive it's the same in confined space it's the same in trench same in hazmat you know and high angle rescue so we're now looking so we're looking at at career stat, uh, statistics Volunteer statistics. We now track Canadian May Days in the provinces up in Canada. And Do you now, have a translator, Don? No, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. 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 Uh, but what we've really truly learned, I think, overall of this, that there is some connecting pieces in this network that are cultural based, whether it's do, you're doing hazmat or whether you're doing firefighting, whether you're a career or you're a volunteer, it doesn't really matter. Interesting. So, so, so is it paid for? Well, like, yeah. So like, with, along this, so uh, you, you you met with these doctors. You established this idea. This is what we want to do. Um, how did you get this funded, and how is it being supported? Uh, in the first year, we got a grant uh, for $10,000. Whoa, man. Whew, yeah. That's gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, geez, that was gone the first week. <laughs> and I, 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 I had told my wife, you know, we'll be lucky if we get 200 fire departments to participate. Well... I didn't figure on that very well. But uh, so for the last four years, we have funded it ourselves. Completely I, 100% free. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're like, we're going to figure out at the end how they can, well, so the, how people can throw some money at this the, thing. Where did the $10,000 uh, grant come from, Don? Oh, it came from the, basically a, a private foundation, Robert Wood Johnson. And, uh, and the, you know, and I sent them our results and they were really pleased with what we did and how we did it. Uh, it's just that they only do funding one time for one project. And I understood that, and that was fine. We've had several vendors approach us. Um, and I always tell the vendors thanks, but no thanks, because I don't want to be indebted to somebody I may badmouth later. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, You're right. So yeah. I, I badmouth some manufacturers and some vendors, yeah. and uh, as I should, because that's what, it's what we have learned. And uh, so I don't want to feel indebted to any manufacturer or vendor or supplier or whatever so i think this is the best way for us to do it well and, i think uh, that, I, I think that's fantastic because it's uh, uh when you make the comparison say in medicine is when drug companies are sponsoring yes. uh studies um oh, interestingly enough the the medicine that they're pushing is really really uh shows to be really really uh, yes <laughs> uh, effective well no maybe it isn't <laughs> so yeah you know i put we've we've sunk 16 million dollars into this drug you know, right? We need to recover some of our money, <laughs> yeah. if not all. It's going it. to be hard so, to say. It really sucks. Yes. Yeah. So one hundred percent self-funded for how many years? Four years now. It's got to be, got to be a way to throw some money. The thing reef builders will throw some money your way, and, and we won't. Don't expect shit. And you can badmouth as much as you want to. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> but no, it's and like I said, I, I I wanted the autonomy not to owe anybody anything in regards to, you know, um, 
I talk about some problems with some SEBAs and some other things, and I don't want to have to tone that back because I'm worried I'm going to lose their sponsorship. No, yeah, nor so, should you ever. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. no. Well, and I think, Don, didn't we have conversation at one time about uh, insurance companies potentially yes. funding this? And we talked with two of them in particular. One of them is sort of still on board a little bit, is still interested. Um, there is a there is sort of a problem with insurance companies similar to vendors and so forth, but I think they're not as uh, lucrative to the product as maybe some manufacturers of protective clothing, SCBAs, and this stuff is. So right, and and I I've always found it interesting because the insurance companies they want to decrease maydays, they want to decrease these bad outcomes exactly. that they yep. have to pay for. Um, and it's not necessarily because they really care about firefighters. It's no. they have a financial interest, yeah, in it, right? Sure. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, that affects the bottom line when you're paying out millions of dollars. Yeah. Yes, so it that, does. That, I, I found that that conversation really interesting because, uh, and and I mean it as a warning to the American Fire Service because when insurance companies start looking at how we're doing business and how yeah. how uh, how smart our decisions are when we're you know. Uh, Working on game day, so to speak, yep. um, you know, we can start running into some significant problems. Oh yeah, like no insurance. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean that's, that's what it boils down to. And I've talked to uh, this particular company because uh, um, they do a lot of uh, underwriting for fire departments. And um, one of the things that we talked about was, you know, how much risk do you want to really take with a particular fire department? And I always told them, you need to look at their line of duty discs, and you need to look at their May days, and you need to look at their near misses. That will give you an idea of one, the cultural attitude within the department, and do they enforce their own SOPs? And I think one of the things that when we review SOPs, we listen to the audio tape, we look at their training. A lot of these departments have SOPs, but they're not followed, and therefore they're not enforced. Uh, accountability is probably one of the biggest ones. Everybody says There's that word again. That yeah, word I know. accountability keeps yeah. coming yeah. up. Holy <laughs> shit. You know, <laughs> you know, everybody says, well, we've got accountability tags and this is, but when you go out, you realize, yeah, you, you've got a great SOP, but you're not doing it every day. Well, we only do it on the big fires. Well, if you can't do it every day. Yeah, what a day, great way to mess up the big yeah. fire. That's yes, good practice. Yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> so practice. when we look at accountability, 66% of the time, there was no accountability in place when the May Day occurred. Um, so that actually brings up a couple questions. We need to define near miss. Okay. I'm not going to define it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, for us, uh, yeah. near miss is any, any incident or opportunity or scene where s something where we had a close call or there was potent, significant potential for risk uh, injury, death. Um, uh, to me, that's a, a, a near miss. And those are the things that we need to identify. It's, you don't necessarily had to have a, a bad outcome at a, a close call. No. Um, Don, would that, uh, yes. does that meet the national definition? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, to me, a near miss is a May day. I mean, that's what a sort of, well, yeah, that's a great way to put it, yeah. you know, and then later we'll figure out, is it really a near miss or is it a May day? But call the May day and then we'll figure it out when we have the opportunity. It's so. the, whoa, that was fucking close. Let's not do that again. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. We, I, we just saw but, the line. Let's not do that But again. what we see is I'm a firefighter. You're my company officer. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's a stretch. Okay. And what we see is, is I see you getting away with stuff. So I think I can do it. 
And then later it gets, I catch up and all of a sudden it catches me, you know, because yeah. I'm doing something that I know my SOPs and my training say I shouldn't be doing, but because you two guys were my company officers on two different occasions, I got away with it. So now I think it's just, Hey, I'll do it every day when maybe normalization of deviance, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then like in the dive world and in, in the military, it's task overloading, right? So yes. it's, it's, it's not the first task that, that, that you miss. It's going to kill you. It's the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the one that stacks on top of you. And then it just breaks, you know, breaks your back and then you die. You know, and you talk, I think that's a, a, a critical component of what we see in some of these May days is one of the things that we see under situational awareness is tax fixation, where you get so focused on your tasks that you don't look at your situation, what's above you, what's behind you, what's to your right and left. All we're focused on is the fire, and we don't take the time to really look at what we're getting into and what we need to get out of if we go in too far. In the worlds I come from, the term is perceptual narrowing. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. you're you're so narrowly focused on completing that task. I think firemen from the realms I've been in are the greatest at it because they just want to do it harder to try and get that accomplished instead of changing strategy or, you know, but at the same time, usually we do it faster. True. We have a tendency to ask for more help. I just need, I just need one or two more companies. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. Keep stacking them. (laughs) Right. Or I need more line. Right. You know, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I think sometimes we turn out to be our own worst enemies. Gotcha. So, so to the accountability part where we're, um, that's one of the major problems. So I have a question on it because I'm being a younger, you know, company officer and, you know, uh, in general, um, to me, we have par tags that go on like on the truck and it's this archaic system. I believe it's my opinion that you take some Velcro stuff and you stick it on a par tag and that's supposed to go somewhere. But we have these wonderful things on, on the fire trucks. I think they're called computers, <laughs> like also known as MCTs that have, um, an accountability system on that. Like what's what from the 6,000, uh, uh, cases, case studies that you looked at, is there a difference between a part tech system and accountability on an MCT or roster or what it's one better than the other? Not much on the MCTs. Okay. I mean, when we look at accountability, part of the reason is there's still not good software to align with our hardware. You know, Scott and MSA both are working on what's referred to uh, as working boards. And this is a computer software program that once you turn your bottle on, I know how much air you've got in the command post. And I can see you going through your air usage. And I can see that you're a crew of four and the number three person has used up a lot more air than one, two, and four. And now it's my responsibility to alert the company officer. You have firefighter number three uh, is using, is low on air. You need to consider what your next steps are or whatever. But uh, there's not, I always tell people, if you have an SOP for accountability, do it. If you're not doing what the SOP says, then get rid of the damn SOP. Because in the legal view, that is going to be a big deal. And somebody is probably going to use that against you at some point in time. Yeah, something bad happens. The questions are, did you have a policy? Yes or no? And if so, did you follow it? Yeah, uh, those are hard. Those are really hard questions after the fact. Oh yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, I think uh, 
one thing I wanted to get into, and we talked about this, is is kind of the audience that I that I feel like I'm, I want to speak to is captains and, and battalion chiefs. And um, what are some of the things, Don, that you're starting to see now in your because it seems like every single day there's new things that are being uncovered by your team and yourself. And so we were talking a little bit earlier about how um, one of the things you're seeing is company officers and their ability to manage maydays is is a little bit suspect. And there's a large number of maydays that are occurring nationally where there's no command officer on scene. Exactly. About 40, I think it's 42% of the time, a May Day will occur where no battalion chiefs on the scene. And we have not done a very good job in training our company officers to run May Days, let alone running a May Day with not many resources. You know, with maybe a, a second engine, maybe a, a ladder company, and that's it. Now we have a May Day. So I think we need to do a better job of training our company officers to run May Days. But we, we've made our company officers in a, in, a, in a May Day situation, we've not given them all the tools that they need in, in, by training con, uh, concepts. And I think that shows, you know, does a company officer going into a big box stop, you know, at a whatever time or length measurement on hose? Okay, everybody okay on air? And I want to hear a guy say, I've got two greens. I got one green. I got a yellow. Okay, we move on. Quick measurement tool. Quick. You don't yeah. have to give me PSIs. You probably can't read the gauge anyway. Yeah. And so. And for those that are listening, uh, we have a heads-up display on our regulators that show green, yellow, red. And green, you got, well, depending on the size of the bottle, right? You'd have yes. two-thirds left. Yeah, it's it's actually quarters, right? Okay. So one or two greens is full. Thirds. Or, well, thirds the standard now. is in thirds now, but is are our lights... Since we have four lights, they're measuring quarters, right? Yeah, but I think um, most of them have been a- adapted to that first two green lights is really that the first, first third. one third. Okay, so, and then the yeah. second, uh, then the then the yellow, yellow light is the second uh, third of yep. your bottle, and then the Let, red is you only have a third left. And that's pretty Let, much coming from the diving world. Yes. Yeah. yeah well, now one of the things that's really been great for us, uh, especially for during the last two two and a half years, is if you have a new SCBA that meets the new standards, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize that on that SCBA, there's a black box mm-hmm. that I can basically take the cover off the, the mechanism. There's a little door, depending on who your manufacturer is. You take a screwdriver, turn the little screw, pull the door down, you hook your computer to it. We can actually now look at when you went on here, we can actually look at your breathing rate. We can look at a variety of different things. And I think we need to use Was your it. SCBA tested at the beginning of the shift? Yes, yes. And uh, I'll talk about that in a minute because that's a big deal. Um, but what we're seeing is, is that uh, we need to use that in training. When you have a recruit class and somebody's having problems with their air, you need to figure out when that is. You know, So by taking that black box information downloading it we can see this person does really well except when they get tired they really go through the air so how can we help with their conditioning to get more air or you've got a dive background so you know exactly where i'm going we're not teaching skip breathing box breathing straw breathing right those things that will get you an extra seven to 12 minutes out of a cylinder if you have a mayday 
And skip breathing, for, for those that don't know, instead of just as we sit on uh, anywhere, we're just constantly breathing up and down, not up and down, but in and out. Um, when you skip breathe, you're making a conscious decision to take a breath, hold it for a short amount of time, exhale it, and then go. So you're going to get better efficiency out of that. And the dive world is not a good thing to do because you're going to load more gas in your system that you don't need. But in, in firefighting, Mac, matter of fact, I when I started the academy, I used to do it all the time. People were like, I don't know, you stay on a ball for, for, for so long. I'm like, I'm not fucking telling you either. <laughs> but did they, but they, did they teach you that technique? In the no, academy? they didn't know. That's something so, I, that I brought with me. And so. I think we need to teach it because when you – what happens is, in most cases, when people have a mayday, they begin to panic a little bit. And then they begin to breathe a little deeper, a little harder, and they use much more air than they should. And I think if we did a better job of teaching them to any of the techniques, straw breathing, box breathing, whatever it is, skip breathing, I think it would make people have something to rely on, knowing that I'm going to be running out of air, but if I do this, I might get an extra seven minutes. Yeah, something yeah, to actually do. concentrate yeah. on and yes. help your brain not panic. And, exactly. there, and there's techniques and, and confidence that like go along with that. Like I like yeah. I was a technical dive instructor for, or I still am for a long time. Like and like I I would teach students how to breathe through a tank underneath the water with no regulator. Yeah, and they're like, it's not that I'm going to do that, but the fact that that you have you that can. level, yeah, can and, and that you have that level of confidence to sit at, at the bottom of the pool and just crack the valve open and and, and breathe out of a tank uh, is helps people. It's just that 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 stuff, and I don't know, I don't know if if I, that's probably never been taught in an academy. No, and not, I, I, not where not we come from. Just it, a couple that I found. Yeah, and, and unless it was a specific training officer at a specific time because they had that background, yeah. it wasn't the department giving that information. It was like you. They brought it from someplace else. So like 12 people teaching. got it. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah 5, that's not reliable. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so uh, what else, Don, are you seeing um, You know, currently for our – uh, company officers uh, and our battalion chiefs with regards to training because there's a lot of things that well heck you, you and I've known each other for a while and we've had lots and lots of conversations uh, in 2016 I, I, I updated the Phoenix Fire Department recruit training curriculum based on a lot of information that you had in your study and reinforcing some things that that you guys had learned is pretty critical for for brand new firefighters across a 20 30 year career so what what things are you seeing now that are uh, of value there well one of the things I think it's it's sort of been interesting because it was there we just didn't see it you have a crew of four people you have a company officer you have a driver engineer operator and two firefighters. To your audience, basically, stop and think a minute. Which of those four people would you think has the most of May days? And it's the engineers. Why? Because they only go in on one out of every 11 fires. They're normally outside pumping. You go to the academy for training. What is that, uh, that engineer doing when you're at the academy doing your training? The panel. Pumping. Yeah. So we need to get them more involved in using SCBAs because that's their major issue is they will go through a lot of air quickly. And those perishable they, skills are being exercised less. Yes, correct? because they're out at the pump panel. So yeah. as we talk about these things that kind of lead up to a mayday, have we defined kind of the top five or ten things that lead to a mayday? Oh, well, I know Don. <laughs> yeah, Don. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, could definitely the, do that. The, I'm sure he has those in his head. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the first... Uh, which represents almost 25% of all of our May Days is getting lost or separated from hose lengths. 
And uh, define that a little bit more because yeah. we the difference between lost and separated. Yeah. Lost means you never took a hose line in to begin with. Oh, you just say, Hey, I'm gonna go in. Yeah. But there are departments. <laughs> very common tactic. Very, very common. common tactic. Especially ladder companies. I always tell people you're really taking the line in, not necessarily to always attack the fire, but to give you an egress. Yeah, I need a way to home. follow. Yes. Yeah. So we find in a lot of cases, and 67% of that number. When we look at uh, lost or separated from hose, is people who never took a hose line in to begin with. Okay. So I'm not a fan of that. I, I know it's a big on the East Coast and in the parts of the Midwest and also on the West Coast, uh, mainly. So everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Truck companies have a tendency to go in with no hose. I always say if I set, have fire coming out of a window on the Charlie side, that's a significant fire. It's not probably a room and content fire. So therefore, I better take a hose in because that may be the only way I get out. Gotcha. So I think we sort of sh short sell ourselves on some of those things that we should be valuing or looking at in more detail. And that, that's basically one of them. Is, so is. so uh, along those lines is, um, uh, well, two things. Um, uh, the, 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 the tactic or the... the the, the skill of um, doing VES or VEIS is right. a very is a very topical thing right now and yes. it's and it's being taught it's tied to some of the fire behavior information that's coming out um, as a as an acceptable tactic understanding the what's happening on the fire ground and I certainly see value with in it uh, to a certain degree but um, the information that Don presents about a lot of those Maydays is the challenge for me personally on uh, uh, making that a widely acceptable uh, tactic. And so uh, so that, number one, if, if you've got any comments there and if you're seeing anything along those lines. Uh, we are. Let me backtrack one thing because I, okay. I think it's sort of important. 81% of our Maydays, the people who had the Maydays did not have full bottles. As not, a, uh, you mean when they started the When incident. they started, they did not have full bottles. And somebody, you know, and I always ask the question when I go out and teach, is would any of you go into a burning building knowing that your cylinder is not full and the hands go up? No, nobody would. But the reality is it happens every day on almost every shift to every fire department. And what happens is the A shift comes in and checks out the SCBA. That means you got to turn it on you got to breathe the air down, make sure the heads-up display, the electronics work. I put it away. B-shift comes in, does the same thing. C-shift comes in and does the same thing. At some point, somebody needs to put a new bottle on Yeah, simply from pack. checking it, right? Exactly. Yeah. You, you can be down an easy 450 pounds, easy, just by doing a routine check. Which could save your life and which yes. could buy you valuable minutes. Exactly. Just It's a simple shift. stuff. When I go out and I use it, Ask these questions, and I stopped now because I realized I was embarrassing too many people. <laughs> but you should know, without having to guess and do it, which way the bypass is on and off mm -hmm. on, your, on your regulator. You should know which way to turn the bottle on and off on the cylinder. And you should know how many turns it takes to turn it completely on. Because one of the more common maydays that we see involving SCBA is about somewhere between the 7 and 12 minute mark, you're going to hear this Engine 5 uh, Firefighter Abbott command, be advised I'm having an air issue, I can't breathe, uh, I need to come out. Well, 
what we found is as command or the company officer, would you check and make sure you turn your bottle all the way on? Because that's what we're finding. Because if it, between the seven and 12 minute mark, you start having trouble breathing, you can't get enough air. It's probably because you didn't turn the bottle all the way on. Well, and uh, so we know of line of duty deaths, right? In, oh, yes. Across the United States where they were lost, uh, appeared to be lost, trapped, and the assumption that they ran out of air. But when they actually find them, they have a considerable air, amount of air, of air left. I, I think even ter one of, one of uh, the LODDs that Terry had in Houston, uh, that was actually the case. Yeah, and it's yes. funny. We don't, we don't do the training that I have received in the fire service. There's a lack of um, SCVA familiarity. Like, like I'd say, like in the dive world, like also if I did, like we're, we're taking gear off, blacked out, underwater, on a regulator, swapping it with, like with your buddy at times, maybe getting out of stuff like that. I never did anything like that in in the academy yeah. ever and then it's funny like some of this stuff that you're talking about because this is the first time i'm hearing this like i've had out of air emergencies with students um or 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 certified students where they've have have swam up to me and like giving me the out of air signal and the first thing i do is i reach back and i touch their valve and i turn their valve on if it is on and uh, about eight out of the ten times that has happened their valve hasn't been turned on someone maybe turned it yeah. slightly off and then it opens up that last third of air that's like oh shit there's actually have a thousand psi yes. left or whatever so so i know for us we've 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 definitely increased our um the work we've done in our training academy with scbas to cover some of that but i definitely think we've got a lot more room yes. to go yeah to, do to, it. to improve that yeah you know I, i'm and i know not everybody can do this and and i and i appreciate that but I'm a big fan of when you start recruit school, we issue them uh, their coats, their bunker pants, their helmets, their hoods, all that stuff. We should also issue them an SCBA while they're in the academy. Mm -hmm. And that's yours to take care of. We got to do that. Yes, so, yeah, we yeah, definitely so, do that. Did, yep. so, okay. so we got to take ours home it's and, their yes, and throw yep. it and all that kind of and stuff. And that's the way it should be. But not a lot of fire departments have extra SCBAs. You should sure. do that. But I'm, right. I believe that, you know, that's where you truly learn how to work your SCBA and how to prepare yourself for anything. Yeah, with uh, your gloves on, yeah, with exactly. your gloves off, and yeah. all the other yes. ways. Yeah. Yes. So when we look from the firefighter's role, I think one of the things that we see is, is that most firefighters have a tendency to easily freelance if they're not well supervised by their company <laughs> officer. Yeah, that's, in that's, everything that's, they do. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. say, that was nicely put. Yeah. Well, I want to be polite. It's, uh, you know, it's 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 just like I I tell people, you know, when I hear that, I said, okay, you as a child, did you wander off from your parents very often? <laughs> often, because uh, if yeah, you often. say yes, yeah. then that means you probably got yeah. freelancing yeah. embedded in you. From an early childhood, it's going to be really damn hard to break. Often and regularly. I mean, when yes. I grew up, they said, come home when the lights turn on. Okay. So, yeah, go. yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to roam. Yeah. <laughs> so when we look at some of that, now from the company officer standpoint, be company officers. Be the leader that you should be because that's what people are looking forward. That's why we have company officers. The company officer is the most important person on the fire department because they soup finally finally yes because they supervise people 24 hours a day the chief supervises them maybe 15 minutes a day the chief a battalion chief probably supervises them maybe 90 minutes a day 24 hours on a 24-hour day it's the company officer and therefore the company officer 
has to do at least 90 minutes of training with their people every day, whether it's sitting at a kitchen table, whether it's actually problem solving, all that kind of stuff. But in what we find is, is company offices oftentimes become complacent. And when they do, that's not only a disservice to themselves, but to their crew. And that's what we got to try to avoid. Because when we look and interview a lot of our May Day victims, they tell us a lot about what our problems are. And oftentimes they relate back to the company officer or our expectations of what they actually should be. I think one of the best, and I, this is going off the subject just a little bit, one, one of our best audio tapes we've got to date. And uh, we're going to have it on our website later uh, in January because we've now got permission to share it. Uh, I, initially, I only could do it when I went out and taught and I couldn't give it to anybody. But uh, the city attorney just recently sent me a letter that I'm going to get an official letter for this. But here's a great May Day audio tape that we've got. And I'll just sort of paraphrase it a little bit. But it's uh, Engine 5, Firefighter Abbott, May Day, May Day, May Day. Engine 5, Firefighter Abbott, May Day, May Day, May Day. I've fallen into a basement. I have active fire in a basement. I'm crawling to the Bravo site. I believe I've broken my ankle. I need help now. In the real incident where this occurred, about 28 to 30 seconds later, command to Firefighter Abbott, Engine 5, be advised. Engine 9 is the RIT team. I'm sending them in now. 30, or actually 26 seconds later, Engine 5, Firefighter Abbott to command. Go ahead, Firefighter Abbott. Could you send Engine 4 instead? <laughs> He didn't like the guys on nine, huh? No. Yeah. And didn't we, trust him. Yeah, yeah no, I can't yeah. see that. Yeah. And I will tell you now, and I always, everybody sort of giggles when I play that tape, but the reality is I say to them, stop and think a minute. Is there a crew that comes to your fire regularly that you would not want to be the root team? Oh, yeah, for sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got to fix that. And I believe many times this is fixable at the company officer level. Not all of it, but I believe a vast majority of it. You can't wait till you get to the academy once a year to do self-survival, May Day, or root training. It's got to be sort of done once a month in the station. And it can be just discussions. You don't have to put all your gear on and do it every time. Right. But just discussions, you know, okay, what are we going to do? You know, um, usually when RIT teams are made, they're outside near the battalion vehicle. All they're doing is bitching and whining that they're the RIT team. Right. Have no plan. Company officer didn't do a 360. So I believe that the company officer holds in their hand a way for us to eliminate nearly a third of the May Days. If they just play the role as company officer, enforce the rules, do continuing education and training, and be the role model that they should be. I like that. Yeah, like Hover yeah. says, the players know who the players are. Yes, every single sure. time. Exactly. Yeah. Every exactly. single time. Yep. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we used to do uh, when a guy would retire, one of the things we'd do is we assigned it. We had a committee that changed every quarter, and they would take that person out to eat or out to lunch, and they would give them a three-page little survey. They didn't have to put their names on it. But we asked them, you know, and most of them were very honest because they're retiring. They don't yeah. give a shit yeah what, what i think you can cuss you know, on this yeah, podcast. yeah. Okay. We, okay. we fuck motherfuckers yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. so so what we asked him was what was the best station you ever worked at what was the worst what was the worst captain best captain what was the worst battalion chief 
what was the best battalion chief. And when we started looking at the numbers, they were all pointing at the same people. <laughs> wow. Not you in know? pencil, right? No, not <laughs> yeah, in pencil. Yeah, these stories aren't done so, in pencil, right? Good. So we realized, hey, man, we'd got to do more training at the company officer level because most of them, there was three captains that kept appearing over and over and Stuart, over again. Stuart, on. You know, <laughs> and three, or actually four battalion chiefs that kept coming up over and over again. So we added more questions to the survey to figure out what was the problem. Was it a leadership at the station or a leadership at a fire? And what we found was there wasn't much difference in the leadership between the two. It was bad or not as good as it should be. I would think if it's bad at the station, it's going to be worse Oh yes, on the, the fire, fire ground. Yeah, yeah yes. for sure. Like you're not yes. going to rise rise to the occasion. You're going to, you know, cruise back down to your lowest level of training. When in our be. in our questionnaire for our victims, we ask, "Did you freelance?" And I think it's thirty one percent were in a freelancing mode when they made the or at least admitted to yeah, it. Yeah, at least admitted to it. Yeah. Then we ask them after right after that question, if you answered yes, what did you think give you the authority and the power to freelance? And I would say 85% of the time, it's my company officer. Oh, well, throw them right underneath that's, the bus. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, that's a crazy amount of uh, um, uh, honesty. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That, because I saw my company officer do it. Yeah. So I figured, hey, I'll do it. You I, know? I say, and like, managing people, it's like, you know, uh, you know, managing kids or, like, having kids. Like, if you do, if you do it. They're in, and they watch you do it. You're basically telling them it's okay. They pay yes. attention to you're, everything, you, oh, yeah. and you never know what you're getting into. Yeah, you know. For, yeah, yeah. And, and you never know when they're looking at you and absorbing what you're saying and doing. When they're just sort of it's a blow by, you know, gotcha. type thing. And I think that's a, you know sort of a big deal. Number two, I was like, I was just about okay. to say, let's get back on yeah. track. Yeah. Number yeah, two yeah, right is falling into basements. Okay. Number three is falling off roofs or in or through a roof. Now that used, <clears throat> excuse me, in our first two years, that was number one. Now it's dropped to number three. Hmm. Why is that? Do you think better training or? <clears throat> I think two things, better training. We're not venting as much as what we used to. And we're not staying on the roofs, spectating our holes that we just cut. Yeah. Or we're cutting down on the number of people we put on the roof. I've got two great slides One's a commercial building, one's about a 5,400 square foot house. And when you count on the residents, there's 10 people on the roof, and on the commercial building, there's 19. Wow. 19 people on the roof. And there ain't anybody doing anything. Roof sectors. That's for yeah. five <laughs> companies yeah. worth yeah, roof of ladder. sectors, yeah. And they're all watching one guy cut a hole. Come on, get off the roof. That's the definition of city work. <clears throat> yes. Right? Yeah. 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 Number five is SCBA. Uh, number six like is like malfunction or f- uh, familiarization, r- or just all those, all those things. Okay. Uh, number s- six is entanglement, and uh, number seven is explosions, which we did not have two years ago. Hmm. We killed three firefighters last year, uh, basically going to natural gas leaks. Seventy-eight percent of the time, they were told there was a gas leak. Fifty-nine percent of the time, when they got off the engine, they smelled gas. Yet they go inside the building yeah. without turning off canaries. Yes, yeah. without turning off the gas or being told, "Hey, everybody's out of the building. Why do we need to go in?" Yeah, Just creating a hazard gas. zone. And yeah, yeah. Right. we're making something and knowing what it is worse. So, of all those things, uh, would you say training is the number one issue that 
that that causes these things? Like, where does physical fitness play into this stuff? Um, any of those things? I think it's um, when I go out. Uh, let me address. I think training is the biggest component, okay. followed by fitness. I show a slide in my presentation when we get into Airpax, and it shows a picture of a person standing with no waist belt on. And I see that a lot when I watch t- nightly news, guys walking around and they don't have their seat belt on or their uh, waist belt on. It's a seat belt. Yeah, <laughs> it is a seat And belt. <laughs> I can't rescue or drag you. And we learned this from Brent Tarver. If you don't have your waist belt on, uh, because that's what I'm going to pull on probably first and foremost, and you're going to come right out of it if, if that's the case. Right. So I think that when we look at SCBAs in particular, um, and we look at those issues, that's a critical part. Then I show another slide of a firefighter who can't wear a waist belt because he's too big. Right. Or, yeah, too okay. fat. Yeah, too fat. <laughs> yeah, too and fat. so he's Probably got is. the waist belt tucked in behind his SCBA, which is not going to do any good at all. Right. If nothing else, they need to wear an extension like they give you on an airplane because that's how important that, wa- that, that waist belt is. But it's even more important, let's cut down on the girth that takes up the width of that seatbelt. And fitness is a big deal. But Yeah, because yeah, I would argue the number, the number one thing we need to do our job is physical fitness. Oh, yes. Like 100%. And I will tell you, and I, I can probably say this, that as you get older, you suddenly realize I should have stayed fit. Because hmm. when you get older in this job, you become old. And your responses are slower. Um, they're not as complete. And you have a tendency to, to create injuries, you know, and it, nothing serious. I feel serious. that every single time I work out, Don. Yeah. Oh, I <laughs> every do. single time now at this point. I do, I do too, yeah. you know, and, and I wish I had taken fitness more seriously earlier in my career, but it wasn't that big. I can't, I don't think we had weights in a station for my first eight or 10 years. Yeah. You know, you. Well, and, I think a lot of that starts from the top. And yes, when you have a poor example of what that looks like, from chief all the way down to BC, it's kind of hard to hold your people accountable Account- for that. It is. Yeah. So fitness is a big deal. Okay. Um, most of our, we track May days in uh, mid-rise, high-rises. And the majority of a May days in a high-rise is medical-related, mainly chest pains and heart attacks. I bet. Because yeah. of the, the sheer effort it's taken to yes. get there. You know, you're, you're working, you know, I always tell people, even at a big box or a warehouse, When's the last time you drug a two and a half or three inch line in 200 feet fully charged? Not very often. Right. That's a fitness level. Yeah, maybe even upgrade, that. right? Yeah. 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 So, like my personal philosophy, when I, because I trained recruits on, on the physical fitness side for 14 years, and I led the program for seven or eight or, or whatever. If, when you're out of the academy and you're not underneath someone, someone's training regime, my thing's always been either run or ride fast and uphill and pick up heavy weight. Yes. Because because those are the things that... That's they, what you're going to do on the fire yeah, ground. that's yes. exactly true. And in life, like anytime you go vertical, it's hard as hell. Like yes. I don't give a shit what you do. Like you see runners that run on, on flat ground and then when it comes to the hilly section, they get dropped because they don't have that ability yeah. to go up. And I think over time, what I have learned is, you know, you need to do your fitness, uh, do it what I call normal for five minutes and then super normal for five minutes and then normal, re, you know... Because that's the way firefighting is. Oh, yeah. You don't put everything out all the time, at the you know. But the reality is, you're going to put out a lot at some of the time. Yeah, that intensity. Yeah, it's it's a and be intensity. able to re, 
to recover from it. It's a big interval workout. Yeah. Yes. So, big. So, so your recovery period needs to be fast. Fast. Yeah. Fast. Yep. yep. Don, what are you seeing with his, with regards to initial company officers arriving on scene and potentially being the IC like they would okay. be in our situation and those guys having the maydays? Okay. Let's go. Let's start first. What we find is I think only 39, almost 40% of the time, or I, let me backtrack, for the first in officer or first in engine, only about 41% of the time do they do a 360. Hmm. So you never know what you're getting into until it's way too late if you don't do a 360. Now in the valley, we've got walls and fences, but that's true almost everywhere to a certain extent. And I think we've got to do a 360, or if I can only do two sites, I need somebody else to do the other Yeah, two. figure out how to get it done. Exactly. Right? We um, Last year, we got a May Day um, involving four firefighters who were all, two of them critically burned with multiple uh, fractures. The other two had some burns, but had a lot more fractures. And they arrived on the scene of a residence, uh, about 2,800 square feet. And... Uh, when they arrived on the scene, they saw smoke coming from the rear. Company officer made a decision. All four of us are going to go in. We'll have the second engine pumped to us. No cars in front. 10.30 in the morning, they decided to make entry. All of a sudden, about 30 seconds, 45 seconds after the entry, there's an explosion. The roof comes down on two of the firefighters. The other two are thrown out into the front yard. Had they taken their time and somebody done a 360, they would have found that there was a 250-gallon LP tank setting against the back of the house. Oof. And the flames coming out of a basement window were impinging on Oof. the LP tank, which calls the blevy. Two of these guys will never, ever return to work. But somebody had taken 60 seconds to do a 360. They probably wouldn't have went in the building. And that takes some tactical discipline. Because, yes. Because I think we're taught fast, 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 right? Exactly. And I think from the point of uh, firefighter, firefighter, paramagician, engineer, to making that jump to a captain, you're not retrained to, hey, slow down, do some things a little bit differently when you're a hoseman and stuff like that. Yeah, you want to take the plug as fast as possible. Yeah, you, you want to get that line deployed as quickly as possible. But when you become a company officer, they're not telling you, dude different picture now yes you have to slow things down i think that's for sure a training thing it is sure. you know and getting company officers to think ahead forecast what they're going to do and based on what the fire is doing and the fire behavior in the building construction and i think oftentimes most company officers revert back to firefighter when they get into the building instead my job is make sure we have good communications to make sure we're still in the right tactics. But more so than anything else, I should be thinking five minutes ahead in what we're doing. Where's that fire going to be in five minutes? What can I do to keep it from getting there? You know, And I don't think we teach that portion very, very well. And, and I think that's an issue. 
and it's a little hard to so I like like I'd call that forecasting. Like you're you're forecasting uh, back to the left to bang book. That's 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 <laughs> the ability to read. And what we talk about and we've talked about several times in the podcast is pattern recognition. You've yes. seen that pattern before. You, you can identify it and you can quickly make a decision on it. But as a new company officer, you may or may not have those reps, especially if you're a guy that took the test early or didn't spend a lot of time in the back seat or just didn't get a lot of fire. So to train to it is is difficult without simulations and or practical training experience to do something that way. Um, I don't know that, that that to me, even in a, in a large fire department, that would seem like a a huge challenge to get your people uh, uh, lined out or squared away. If they're not on a regular um, fire ground scenario situation at the CTC or something like that. Cause I know for me as a, as a captain, I there's no regular um, tactical stuff. There's BCDC training for you know like the BCs and DCs, but for captains, there is no regular. Hey, let's no. go do scenario stuff at the CTC, or hey, we're we're going to go out as battalion one and 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 run this scenario or or whatnot. So I, I agree 100. percent I when because when I when I look at what's going on out there, and I and I travel the country and get to visit with these people. One of the things that I see is we don't do a very good job of preparing our company officers and our battalion chiefs to do those jobs. You know, today I a firefighter, tomorrow I a captain. Well, what are we doing before that? And I'm a big fan of before you can take a promotion, whether it's to a captain or to a battalion chief's position and get on a list, you need to go through whatever you want to call it, a captain's academy, a battalion chief's academy, two or three weeks long. Yeah. And, and you, you talk about you. mentorship too, right, yes. Don? Oh, yeah. Mentorship's a big deal. Imagine that. Standards. Whoa. Yes. They're, yeah. You're, you're, now you're talking crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and, but one of the things that I see in my travels is, is like I said, you know, we're going to give you a three-day captain's class. <laughs> no, no. You need a week of how to handle people and leadership. Then you need two weeks of just tactics and strategy, you know, because – and people say, well, why do we need to teach a company officer strategy? Because for the first 10, maybe 12 minutes, they're running the They're show. making all the decisions exactly. at the strategic, sure. tactical, and task level. Yes, they're doing everything. So we need to prepare them to do everything. And in battalion chiefs, the same way. Uh, I'm a fan of when you have, uh, if you're lucky enough, not everybody is to have fits or aides or whatever you want to call those people to ride with the battalion chief. I believe that's part of the promotion process. If you're on the list, you should be riding with a battalion chief as a mentor to better prepare you to be a battalion chief. And I'm a big fan of that because I think you learn from your mistakes or you learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, give you an example. I'm not going to name the fire department. We, j we just did a promotion process. Uh, I helped design it and uh, sort of uh, did some other things with it. But uh, we put them in a, a Suburban, showed them uh, two simulations. First simulation was what I call a, a bread and butter situation. The second one, a little more complicated. But what we told the battalion chief that was playing that role, we want you at this slide, start making so these, and we give them a little index card where the, the fit or the aide, the captain, who was going to be promoting the battalion chief in the next process, so in this particular scenario, we ran it, and at the seven-minute mark, we wanted the IC to say something that should have gotten the fit's attention. Yeah, some type of inject, inject. that, that yeah. this yeah. isn't 
this is like we're cutting our seventh hole. Yeah, yeah, you know that. So we had to each time it got worse. Right. And out of the twenty-seven candidates, only about nine of them had the guts to tell the battalion chief, "Hey, chief, I think we're screwing this up. I think you need to do this." But they were afraid to because they didn't think it was their place or their job. I've been part of that scenario okay. at RCTC, and they, they let me go for about 30 minutes. I'm like, cut another hole. Cut another hole. Yeah. yeah it's like, the building's sagging. Cut another hole anyway. And just like finally someone like, tore the headset off me, but it was way far into it. I think, oh, like, yeah. I think like 25 or 26 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it does. And, and so I'm a firm believer that we got to do a better job preparing. I'm a fan and I know a lot of departments don't do this, and but I'm just, this is what I personally feel, is to be a good company officer, you had to have been an engineer. And the reason I say that is because I can't tell you how, if I come back to that engine, I should be able to tell you and help you fix your problem. Yeah, I agree. And if yeah. I can't, what good am I? You have to understand air position on that truck. I know. It, yeah, right. And until you've done it, it's kind of hard to, to understand that job. Big yeah. challenge. I was yeah. an engineer for five years, just so you know. You know, as, <laughs> as simple as this may sound, there was a light of duty diff several years ago in a mid-rise. And you, when you listen to the audio tape, it becomes very eerie, but it also becomes a better, a good understanding of why we do things the way we do it and don't fix it. Right. And that is the pump operator... Very first time, he's a write-up engineer, or excuse me, a write-up firefighter playing pump operator. Right. He hooks to the, to the testing unit rather than to, to the FDC. Oh, boy. So here he <laughs> thinks he's pumping water to the FDC. The guys up on the fire floor are screaming they don't have any water, and he can't figure out how to fix it. Oh. It's not until another engine comes in, and he walks over, looks at, and walks over, hey, you got it hooked up wrong. Right. You know, now at this point, it's too late because we've got one line of duty death already and two May days in works. So I think that sometimes we don't, we, we say we train, but I don't necessarily see it. And I'm another one of those persons that there should be a list of competencies that I should have as a company officer or as a battalion chief. And it doesn't mean everybody can do it. And I think that we, sometimes we don't want to say no. Yeah, no, I you agree. know. And uh, I think you need another year. I'm uh, where I came from. Uh, you were you were on probation for three years as a recruit. Wow, that's a that's a long that time. That is a long yeah, time. Yeah, a long Then time. when you got to be a lieutenant, a captain, and a battalion chief, you were also on probation for a year. Yeah, I could see a year for sure. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Technically, our system has that. I don't think we use it to our advantage. Yeah, yeah for and sure. For continuing stuff, uh, right? Yeah. Yes. Like, because I because I know when I was a captain, I was I was fortunate enough. So the most beneficial training I had ever been to as a as a company officer was ISOS. I got to all the scenarios and run fire calls from the battalion chief position and from the command van as the senior advisor. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous training. And I was fortunate enough to be a fit for about a year uh, while I was on probation as a captain. So that actually gave me the ability to take a look at things in a very different way um, at the overall picture and then kind of work my way backwards into that company officer role, which for a guy like me is tremendous because I I like the big picture and then I can work backwards on on that stuff. But we don't have anything formal for that. And I would say 
the chance or the opportunity that I got is one in a hundred. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, yeah I we, think that's we, we used to have um, company officer reviews once a quarter. We had three captains that were standout A captains, and they would basically run a review. Uh, they would bring it, they would actually pull audio tapes and they would play them while you're sitting in the room and discuss, you know, what was your thinking here? Yeah. You know, what was the process? That's not one we and teach. Nothing had to, nothing had to, uh, no. bad had to happen no, or anything no, like that. It's no. just, hey, let's reinforce what we yes. did well. Let's improve what we didn't yes. do well. You guys, you did a great job on this fire. Right. Okay. Now let's listen to the next tape. Same type of fire, but this one didn't go as well. Do you know why it didn't go as well? You know, and I think we got to be as positive as we are negative in regards to reinforcement. That yeah. becomes a big rule. Yeah, understanding why and how somebody did well. Yes. And rather than just assuming that they know, or maybe it was luck, and we know we can't train or teach luck, right? So Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And that's a process. And, uh, you know, I don't know. In all cases, we sort of learn that. I think it's, it's we learn by our mistakes or other people's mistakes, which we should because that's the best learning process of all. So, yeah. so I think there's a, a weird uh, expectation for firefighters and company officers uh, today, and I, I believe it's more than, than it was previously, in, at least in my career, um, but that there's an expectation that the departments should be providing every bit or every opportunity of training that they get. And that's simply not realistic within an organizational no. construct, right? And, 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 and money and time and all that other stuff. And the company officers, the battalion chiefs, and then the company officers, and then the individuals are the ones responsible for a bulk of that uh, training in between what the department can deliver. And uh, and I'm guessing that everything you're seeing here in the Mayday, and you already talked about it, I get think a little bit is uh, is uh, uh, your studies proving that to be the case, correct? Yes, yes, yeah. I think that one of the things that I think works against us is we have people that are EMTs, paramedics, special ops. Where do we fit training in for all those disciplines and make sure they're proficient enough to do it a do lot. it right? And I think that's a big issue that fire departments sort of got to look at, a, at, at using more computer technology, looking at doing other things that we've not done in the past or embraced simply because of the money issue. And I think sometimes we make money issues as an excuse for not doing oh, things. Oh, completely and totally, yeah. yeah. And so when we look at it, you know, it, it can be the simplest of stuff. There's stuff out there on the Internet that you can pull down you don't have to take six hours to develop the class. It's already there. Fine tune it to your department. Yeah, I talk about that often. Yeah, about, about I and like I think a lot of fire departments jumping back again a minute. Uh, I'll, we get to, we ask for their SOPs on May Day and RIT, and you would be surprised at the number. I can actually now look at an SOP and I know exactly where it came from. <laughs> because in a lot of cases, they just simply white out the name of the fire department, right. put their name in. And a lot of them are the Phoenix, the volume two. Right. And when I look at this department, it's, you know, they got 16 people on duty. Come on. That, that SOP doesn't make sense, right? Isn't going to work here. It works in the Valley because we have unlimited resources, unlimited supervision with battalion chiefs. We have command vehicles and a senior advisor. 
What you're trying to do with 16 people, the reason it's not working is because you're expecting too much out of the system and don't have the resources to match. And like there are stuff like that. And I felt when 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 I was going through the initial stuff, I actually reached out to you, Chris, and I'm like, is there anything else I can do or learn or is there something out there? And um, I, I I don't care giving them a plug because let me get the shit for free. Like I did the blue card stuff because I'm like it was like I was like oh it's a lot of hours. I'm like yeah, but you're going to be responsible for a lot of things. Like, it's incredibly yeah. valuable. Yeah, yes. for sure. It, you know, it was for me as well. But yeah, to, I don't even know if they still do that for 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 Phoenix guys or not because the the initial portion of it was free and then you had to pay for the scenario based stuff. But it was just even the the online stuff that all the scenarios I went through. Man, just the rep just the reps on it was was great. Yeah. Yeah, You know, and one of the things that they promote a lot, and we hear it on these audio tapes, is the communications part. People will call a May Day, and I always tell people, May Day, what does May Day, May Day, May Day really mean? It means shut up, shut up, shut up, <laughs> stay off the damn radio, you know. But we, we just got a May Day. We were listening to it uh, last Friday, and... Uh, it's a May Day, and it's, a, and it's going to be a difficult May Day because the guy fell in a basement, the stairways is gone because that's where he fell in. So it's going to be a more complicated rescue. During that time, there are people asking, what's pump pressures? Uh, where do we need to stage this? And they're, they're walking over the May Day victim. And it just doesn't make any sense at all. And so I think that we need to have better radio discipline so people stay off the damn radios. You know, every department in the country has somebody that gets on the radio and talks for five minutes and says nothing. That's the person you don't want on that scene. Okay. Because they truly talk for five minutes and literally say nothing. And I, I can hear these on the audio tapes all the time. Or they'll start screaming. Somebody will. And screaming becomes contagious because... If I hear you doing I think I need to. Or people will scream over the radio thinking it'll be louder. No, it's, it is louder, but it's harder to understand. So that sort of becomes a big issue. Um, I think for us in, the, in Project May Day, we don't have this. I don't want to say we don't have this problem entirely, but for the most part, the valley is pretty good. A lot of fire departments, and I have a great uh, dash cam of this, um, we don't. A lot of fire departments don't use confirmation in part of their radio process. They just give an order. I think you heard it. I think you understood it. So you're going to do it. Yeah. No, I want you to repeat back what I just said. Yeah, our it's, standard order model here that we yes. yep. that we should be doing. Yes, right? because the way you report it back is the way you're going to do it. Yeah. It may not that's be your perception, the, right? Yes. Yeah. It may not be the way I said it, but that's the way you're going to do it. And if I need to fix it, I will. If I, hey, that works for me. You know. Yeah. So we just move on. Yeah, I so. was surprised to uh, figure out the number of people that didn't understand the order model or didn't know even what it was. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's a, like, that's an important thing to know. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. Communications. I, that's a, uh, a bulk of what I consider to be the root of May Days is communications. About 56% of the May Days that we listen to, communications is an issue. Because uh, of a, because of poor uh, technology, so it can't be heard, or just bad um, combination uh, information. Thirty six percent of all May days are missed on their first call. I, I really thought Don would be better with all his statistics. Yeah, really yeah, he doesn't have very yeah. many yeah. numbers, yeah. huh? You don't seem to know those very <laughs> <Yeah>. well. 
and when and when you look at that dissect that that percentage, nearly sixty-seven percent of the time we're sidewalk command. So that means we're on a handheld five watt radio, walking around the structure, trying to communicate with people on the inside, where we should be in a vehicle, preferably with headsets, so we don't miss these May Days. And the other thing a lot of people don't realize is, and I think they know it, we just don't like to admit it, but uh, there's a reason for it, but the radios that we use presently, Motorola in particular, are cop radios. They're not fire radios. Yeah, adapted for our work. Yes. They're not water resistant. They're not waterproof. Not temperature uh, resistant. Not any of that admit kind of the, stuff. The minimum mil spec. They're uh, not temperature resistant? No. No. Uh, no. Uh, they fail at uh, 160 degrees Reason. internal temperature, I believe. Let me, let me, another issue to this, what we have learned in Project May Day, and we learned this starting about two and a half years ago, mainly the events that happened in Houston where uh, Chief Garrison was chief at the time at the Southwest Motel fire. We just had him on. Yeah. yeah. And some other fires that have occurred recently, we're getting what's called frequency fade. And that is where your radio will go off frequency to the point that there ain't anybody hearing you. Because of the uh, environmental conditions, just, the heat, the other stuff. It's yeah. bending. That, that radio's or, gone. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. yeah. yeah and the cords nice. that go from your lapel mic to the radio need to be tucked under your coat or somewhere where they're not exposed to heat. One of the other problems we see with, with lapel mics is they only have a 70-degree range of reception. So that's why you've got to sort of pull the mic to your face piece or move your head to the, in the face piece to try to talk in the lapel mic because it's got a, such a limited range of reception compared to a handheld radio which actually has about a 220 degrees of reception. Yeah, I've, I've never so. been a fan of the lapel. Some guys love them. Yeah. I don't. I'd I just, never got into yeah, it. Yeah, it's not my thing. No. And plus they get insulation in it from pulling ceilings and gotcha. stuff. And, nobody and it's bothers. an extra connection that I yeah. always yeah. found to be unreal. And so the other thing that we found um, about a couple of years ago, I took some of my advisory board members and we went to Motorola. And what we found was is that the the batteries on the handhelds are only good for three years. And what happens is that they're not what we call powered cycled. In other words, a fixed outlet charge, not inside a vehicle. Um, and they're not charged properly. Um, after about 20 minutes, that 5-watt radio goes to 4. And after about another 20 minutes, it goes to 3. And at 3 watts, you're not talking to anybody outside the house. So inherently, we're dealing with a highly temperamental, unreliable <laughs> device yes. that in, we're relying in very hostile conditions. Yeah, in hostile conditions that, that we need to perform in in at times the most dangerous environment we can exactly. possibly. Exactly. And what you're using it for can be the most critical operation on the ground is trying to communicate yeah. with other people. So what we tell people that makes me feel awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's what you should. Yeah, holy cow. The other thing that we, we learned from Motorola was about the antennas. And that 90% of the time, the antenna is sticking up. That's the way it's supposed to, vertically. But there's a large percentage of time we're crawling around. Yeah, like, when are we standing and, up? Yeah. It's hot. And, we're, and the antenna's horizontal, so the signal is going this, going sideways instead of up. Wow. So if you call a mayday, you need to get that antenna on that portable radio as straight up as possible. So it will be heard. If you're horizontal and you're trapped and you can't move 
and you can't put the radio in a vertical position, you're in trouble. So that's so, a big problem, too. Uh, it's very commonplace that they uh, have those radio pouches that are slung over yes. you know, guys' shoulders, and yeah. then basically their radios hang oh, at their yeah, waist, yeah, yeah. and they're uh-huh. tethered on there. And they yeah. get really upset because uh, uh, Warrell and I call them uh, uh, radio purses. Yeah, they look yes. like a man and, purse. Yeah, like a so, uh, uh, but those are detrimental just to the things oh, yes. that Don's talking about. Because if you take a watch a video just from any training, if they've got those leather pouches, they're hanging below the coat, so they're not heat protected. They're not being protected from the outside elements. And your body is shielding the the RF, the, the, the RF that yeah. you're trying to not, get out. Not, not only are they not fashionable, they're not functional either. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well <laughs> said. So, yes. Well said. Yes, that's good. Good point. I got to remember that. But you know the, the two Fs. It's we had to probably add a third one. Say then they're fucked up. Yeah, because. Yeah. So, when we listen to a lot of these audio tapes, and in particular ones where it's a May Day where they are basically trapped and have difficulty moving and positioning, it's difficult to understand what they're saying because the signal is going horizontal rather than vertical. That's where all the towers are. All the towers are above our head. They're not right. at our knees. Is there so, technology up there for... Um, you know, earpieces or anything that, that the military uses that, that could be used, you know, by a couple Cost of money. Yeah, yeah, so the trickle. So that it's there? Well, yeah, it's, without it's, a doubt, it, it's there. Okay. Yeah. In my, uh, when you go to our website, when you get into the communications portion, while we were uh, with the Motorola people, we got to meet the people from, uh, four people from SEAL Team 5. And it was funny because they had their dog with them. That dog has better communications than we do. It had an earbud. <laughs> it had an antenna on its back that was good for 45 miles. I'm not surprised. You know, you got to understand that was a, the vest they're wearing is a $40,000 vest. Right. So, I mean, of course, probably it only cost them 12000 to make it, but they yeah. sold it to the military and the government for 40000 yeah, For a proper but, business. Yes, yeah. Kaplan's so, driving well. And uh, let me mention one thing because you're talking about hearing, and Chris and I just talked about this recently. About two years ago, we got a May Day, and my wife, uh, who has this problem as well, um, she said, "We have you ever heard of this before? And I'm reading it, and then, no, I've never heard of that before. And he said, look at these pictures. So I looked at the pictures. So we sent out an additional questionnaire always about mid-year, and we stuck these questions in it. Since that time, as well as our little newsletter we put out quarterly, We've been, I would say, we've got a lot of several documented cases where hearing aids have either melted onto or in the ear. Ooh. Because there are firefighters that wear hearing aids. Yeah. yeah. We've and never there's many, t- many more that should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and as you get older, it's going to happen. That's right. mother nature. What we didn't, I think, realize is that problem. You know, we've got 37 documented cases where the hearing aid that was being worn on the ear or on the top of the ear actually melted to the ear. In one case, uh, the firefighter basically lost their ear and lost hearing in that ear. Um, in other cases, they were wearing the, it inside their ear. There's a piece of that that's metal that just basically transfers and conducts the heat. Right. And it melts in their ear. So it's an issue that I think we've known that, sort of being out there, but nobody really addressed it. So now, you know, like I said, we've got 37. I think we have five more that we have not had a chance yet to review. 
And so I started, you know, okay, let's let's see where the where this takes us. So I talked to a couple of helmet manufacturers, uh, one in particular that really took a good vested interest in what we were saying. And we theorized that what happens is if you wear your ear flaps down on your helmet, it what happens is hot air gets trapped between the ear flaps in your hood mm -hmm. and just lingers there and gets worse. I've always thought, and I don't know, you it's know. just me my, with, in my naive lack of uh, fire department experience and knowledge. Like, the helmets we have, I'm like, could these be better? <coughs> they seem like they could be... The European. Yeah, yeah. that's... I, okay, so I was leading, we, but yeah, I'm like... We're working with a fire department that just recently outfitted an entire battalion with these helmets. And the comments that started were, well, they're too hot, they're too cumbersome. Now the comments are, they're okay. Uh, one person in particular uh, would have gotten a concussion, probably wearing a conventional helmet, yep. didn't get one with this helmet. Plus, most people have told us when they went through the wire maze as part of the self-survival, oh, yeah. that their mask, their face piece didn't move very much. Because the helmet kept it in Locks place. Locks it in place. Yeah. It's a, it's, a so, it's a real helmet. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I'm thinking 10, 15 years, we should be there where we will Perfect. be culture-wise. culture, culture -wise, Probably it ain't going to happen because nobody likes those helmets. But the reality is I think down the road they can save lives, if not permanent disability or injury. The first time I put one of the, a fire helmet on that, that was in the academy, I'm like, and no offense to anybody, I'm like, this thing's garbage. Yeah. I, I'm like, how in the hell? Like, yeah, it's, it's there. You're constantly, it's constantly shifting and bouncing off stuff like that. I'm like, why is there not a real chin strap? Like, why is this thing so top heavy? Like, why are these things there? And I'm like, and they're like, well, it's, it's designed to be a certain way. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm buying 200 it. years of uh, um, tradition unimpeded by progress. Yes. <laughs> From there. Yeah. Cause I get it. It's a tradition thing or whatnot, but yeah. I don't know. Let's wear those in pictures. <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> not, no, I, I, I wore one for about ninety minutes and and just played in it and and because I was worried about and and this may be the case out here where it's not necessarily true around the country. It gets hot out here, you oh, know, yeah. one hundred and fourteen yeah. degrees. I'm not sure. I'm 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 going to wear this helmet and have some people do it during the summer when it's really hot. But I didn't feel the heat that I expected I would in build up. You know, right. and uh, so I think there are things that are out there for us to use. You know, same way with ticks. We have not trained our people very well on really what ticks do and don't do. And I just recently uh, helped do a, a train a, a, a class, and I and initially it was going to be for the RIT team, and I told them, no, this needs to be for everybody. Yeah, because you're putting your you need to understand RIT teams only make 6% of the rescues. That's it. I believe that. Self-rescue, yeah, yeah. number one, yep. followed by your crew rescuing you, followed by another interior crew. Yeah. Outside. Weird. That's what the Brett Tarver uh, yes. uh, drills actually taught us after he died in 2001, and Don's information is now legitimately backing that up. Yes. That's awesome. So when we look at those, those issues, I, I think sometimes we – we take for granted a variety of different things, and I'm not sure that we actually should. But when we looked at uh, the air issue and the time issue and the communications issue, they're all sort of tied in together. 
in some form or fashion. And uh, one of the things that that basically uh, it was about two or three months before uh, Chief Bernasini died, we had met, and one of the things he said was, you know, I see what you're doing, and I see all the information and so forth. He says there's got to be something in all this that's telling us when a May Day's are coming and better prepare us. And so I left that day and uh, went back to my wife. I said, you know, Bruno made a comment that we got to figure it out, you know, because I think he's on the right track. We just got to figure it out, what it is. So working with, uh, I've got two audiologists. I've got an epidemiologist as part of my group. They're all volunteers. Um, I've got uh, uh, two psychologists. Um, I've got a cardiologist and a sleep deprivation specialist. And so it just happened to be that we, we get together once a quarter, and uh, we were sitting there, and I was telling them, you know, and I think sometimes it's great they're not firefighters because they came up with some of the best answers we've yeah. got. Because well, <laughs> they're smart and they don't yeah, have any yeah. egos. <laughs> so, so Weird. The, uh, Dr. Walker, who was my epidemiologist, he makes the comment, he says, have you ever, when you listen to the radio tapes, do you scorecard them, what's being said, when it's being said, and that kind of stuff? And I said, no, I don't think we do that. You know, he said, why don't we try it? Here goes that pattern recognition yes. again. <laughs> so we listened to 100 and realized that's the answer. So, and I, and I, had, I, I invited 30 firefighters, several of them good friends who aren't friends now, uh, to sit down over... We have some of those too. Yeah, well, you have to understand why. For 24 days, these 30 people sitting in a large room uh, with headsets on and uh, one at a table, we listened to 5,000 audio tapes and scorecarded them. And what we basically came up with is... What we came up with was 16 things that basically, if you hear one of these on the radio and it should alert you that something's going to happen, and if you hear a third one, or excuse me, a second one, you better be listening to the radio because the next thing you're going to hear is May Day, May Day, May Day. So we went So your back. article in Firehouse and, yes. and in other places, that's what this, this was that's about, what this right? This is Don? about. Yeah. So we went back and these are the top sixteen things that we heard eighty-six percent of the time. When we heard two or more of these, they led to a May Day. So we basically have put the information out there. I wrote an article and so forth. They're not in any order. But these are the things that if you hear one of these, start listening to the radio. If you hear two of these, you damn sure better be listening. Now, I don't know about most of you people, but um, I hear well. My, li- my wife tells me that I don't listen well. We're males. Yeah, we're yeah. males. <laughs> so yeah. it's like directions. Yeah. So what I t- tell people is when you hear the first one of these, pay attention and start listening because when you hear the second, the third's going to be a May date, and if you can, you can prevent it. So these are the things that we came up with that, that we, we heard 86% of the time, at least two of these prior to the May Day. 
Yeah. So for those of you that can't yeah. kind, of, kind of see this list is, uh, and we'll uh, we'll reference Don's article, a firehouse article for yes. this, and it's on our and, website. And we'll, uh, we'll and, post and, this picture. Yeah, if we could there. take a picture of that, yeah. we'll post it yeah, in this conversation. Sure. That would be sure. great. But uh, these are the sixteen things, and what we found was is we're we're like when you see our website January, we'll update our website January the fifteenth. It will have new percentages because we're going to add last year's uh, May days into this number. And we'll see. Maybe we get some a new one, maybe a couple of drop, but we'll add the percentages. And we're going to put them in order next time. These nice. are not in order. So we've referenced your, your website many times right. today. Yep. So uh, just for everybody, that's projectmayday.net, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. We update it every six months. Um, and... Uh, it will basically show 5,000 in some May days. I can't remember the exact number <laughs> now. But, yeah. uh, uh, but right now we're, I'm sorry, 4,491 is I think what it references. Now we're close to 6,000. So, you know, as, as time goes on, we get on the average about four a day. And again, I believe we only get about fifteen to twenty percent of all the May days in the country. Yeah, because this is a passive system. Yeah, right? he's asking for fire departments is when yes. you experience a May Day, please let me know. And here's the survey that he described earlier yes. that we would like for you to fill out. So, and having filled it out for the Phoenix Fire Department, uh, I think twice. Yeah, um, it's pretty extensive. I say, how long and does that process take? So, I'm X Y Z Fire Department. I've well, it took me a couple hours. For you to do it, but for you to do your to analyze it, to listen to it, oh, to come yeah. back with a, with a report, five finding we usually between five and seven hours. That's pretty for fast. Each May day. It, yeah, well, it we, couldn't have been that fast to start with, right? No, it wasn't. you didn't, you no, didn't have these identifiers, these markers, and these. <laughs> we uh, it was like three days, you know, okay. almost. Now we categorize them when they come in. Um, we look first at those that are involving line of duty deaths or permanent or serious. Permanent disability or uh, critical injury. Okay. Those are the ones we process. Those first. would be career ending, right? Yes. Okay. And those take 10 or 12 hours. Okay. And when you look at all, because we're looking at medical reports. By an experienced team of people, yes. not, not a bunch of like high school graduates yeah. putting a yeah. room and Yeah, and a fireman yeah. sitting around a kitchen table. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Going, right. So we, we got this. We, uh, so we'll break it down and look at it. The whole team, like cardiologists, yes. everybody? Yes. Okay, all right. And then what we'll do is, if we feel it's important, we'll resurvey just you as the May Day victim. And the nice thing about the second set of surveys we do with the victims, the ICs, and the RIT team is it's between me and you. The chief never sees it. Oh. So we get a more honest yeah. answer uh, in most cases, which is really great for us. So we'll analyze that second survey, and it takes about two, two hours usually. But we're also looking at SOPs uh, for May Day and RIT, uh, accountability sometimes. We're listening to the audio tapes. I'm looking at the uh, uh, IC's tactical worksheet, uh, what's their IAP, and any video uh, that they might have along with the audio tapes from dispatch. Chris, what's so, an IAP? <laughs> incident action plan yeah so it's essentially what uh 
um, how you're going to go about, or what what are the things you're going to do to achieve the tactical objectives on the fire ground at a very yes. high level? Yes, yes. not at a like, high level. Yeah, like not to the task level. Well, yeah. So there's the there, there's a there's a strategic level of plan. Is here's yeah. the plan, and then there's the task and tactical level of how you're gonna how you're gonna get it done, how you're gonna break it apart and manage and organize it. Whereas we call that our deployment, right? Yeah, like, yeah, kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like I said, when we go back and look at these, we we sort of dissect them into different categories, um, and that puts us allows us to do um, the one thing that when I go out and teach, I don't get a lot into the what I call the individual statistics. We pretty much put those on our website. You know, like uh, I see. Um, has 6.5 years of experience on the average, uh, their average age, firefighter having a May Day, how long have they been on the job for? Uh, uh, is a, this their first May Day, I hope? You know, that type of stuff. Uh, that's on our website. Okay. When I, I usually go out and I do an eight-hour class, and I don't give, I show some of it, but I don't go into it because there's just not enough time to talk about what out of every nine, or excuse me, what out of every nine RIT teams has their own May Day? And it's usually worse than the original May Day because they're taking shortcuts. Um, they're using more air. They're breathing harder and, and faster. So that's part of the reason why and where we get into real trouble is I'll send a RIT team in, but I won't put another RIT team up ready to run because I should know that one out of every nine of those RIT teams is going to have a May Day. Who's going to save them? And oftentimes that's not Yeah, that's a hell of a case. death spiral, right? Yeah, yes. Sure. Yeah. Or what we're seeing is I'm the host fire department and I use brand X SCBA. My mutual aid or the neighboring department is coming in to assist who I'm probably going to make the RIT team. I got to make sure they're using our RIT bag because we use brand X SCBA and they use brand Y. So taking their pack in may transfer air, but it ain't going to give me a new mask. It ain't going to give me a new regulator. Right. Those issues. Gotcha. So we see a lot of that where the matchup is relatively poor, to say the least. So so one that, one that blew me away, Don, is the correlation between firefighters who have May Days and their previous disciplinary history within their <laughs> fire department. Yes. You know, and... Uh, 59% of the people who had May Days did not wear their seatbelt on the run. Almost every fire department in the country has a seatbelt rule. But we get caught into this. And, and sometimes when I listen to some of these audio tapes, I know now why we get so hyped up. It's because dispatchers, the way they give the run, the way they say, this is a, a working fire confirmed by two different, you know, law enforcement's on the scene, they're declaring. So that amps this up. If that stuff is given to you before you get into the engine, you're not putting your seatbelt on because it's going to slow you down getting out. So we see a lot of that, and it's this hurry mentality of not getting your hood on correctly or tucked in. It's, it's not getting your gloves, you know, on all the way and those kinds of things. So those kinds of things lead to other problems. And if we would just take a minute and slow down, do it right, because you only get one chance. And, you, and if you don't do it right the first time, you may not get a second. And I don't think we sometimes realize that. We just make up all these excuses because it's part of the cultural aspect of what we do and how we do it. But, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, it, and I think you even talked about uh, having just – 
inability to get along or inability to follow the rules in the firehouse and with leave and with just being a general pain in the ass in the firehouse, those people are actually, those people that cause us problems as supervisors are statistically more inclined to have maydays. Yes. Imagine yeah. that. Lack of discipline. Yeah. That's weird. You know, and, and, and when you go back and you look at some of these people, you know, and when I go back and I just recently talked to a, a chief and I made a comment to him and I said, I don't want you to take this wrong, but if you do, that's fine. You've sent more people home being late to work than you have vol- that have violated your SOPs. Hmm. Like Which, operational things, yes, right? Yes, operational, yeah. not right. other. I'm talking about on a fire ground. Yet you'll send, you've sent seven people home in the last 15 months because they were late to work, but I don't see you sending anybody home because they violated an SOP on tactics or task or strategy. How'd you know? that go over? Yeah, it didn't go over well. Yeah, and, I, <laughs> and I expected it because I told him, I'm, you're not the only fire department that does this. Yeah. You yeah. just, I, you know, you asked me, be blunt and honest, and I'm going to be blunt and honest to you, and this is what I see, and this is where... I think you've got a problem. With all due respect. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the numbers don't lie. No, right, yeah. no, no, no. So, it, so that brings up a good point. So you guys go through all this. You guys take all this time. You, you, you pour your heart and soul into, into analyzing these things to help these people. When you deliver that, that, that final document, what do they do with it? Uh, some take it. To, to, I mean, I'll tell you one fire department just recent. They're just north of Denver. Uh, did a really great job. I mean, they took our report, went back and fixed three SOPs that we outlined that needed to be considered to be fixed. Okay. Are in the process of redoing not only their their firefighter uh, self survival training, but also they're making every battalion chief go through in gear. Because one of the things that I I I, I told them was is that. If I'm a battalion chief, I should go through the same training as a firefighter. So I have a good idea when you go through that prop that's an entanglement yeah. with wires. I know what they're get. I know what to, I know what they're going through. I've been through it. It's and amazing I, to me you'd have to tell somebody that. But you have to. Yeah, that, that, because that, that in a lot of mind. cases, BCs are too busy, and as a result, you know they don't get to do a lot of the things that they probably should do. Right. And. Uh, I think sometimes we get so caught up in what they're doing administratively that we forget there's a training component to the strategy of what we've got to do and make sure that we do it and stay on the, everybody's on the same page and does it right. And to me, that would be a failure on their immediate supervisor's um, desk for the fact that they're not encouraging. Yeah, it's an organizational or, failure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Recognizing. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like not Big those time. guys' fault. Like if... If, Big time. If you made it a priority, hey, you're going to roll out this training, and we're all going to come down to BCDC training. We're going to do it together as as BCs and DCs, and then you can roll it out to your crew. It, it, to me, it's, some of these fixes seem quick and easy, but as long as you, as long you as know, you, that's well, a, as long as you see them, right? Yes, and right. The, uh, ma- the, but you the gotta, vast majority you're looking. But if he's past. not helping identify them, and for you to blindly like, so I got whatever that thing's stupid, like that, like why? Like, well, yeah, I like, would say sixty percent of the people take what we recommend and do something with parts or all of it. That's it, and that's, and that's all I can ask. You know, I'm not there to be a. Uh, I, I told people I'm not a May Day cop. Right. You know, and don't mean to be, but 
we see some things that we consider to be, we, we put them out much like OSHA does when they do their citations. It's a serious uh, violation, a wanton violation, you know, negligent violation. You know, so we sort of, when we send them the information, we tell them, you know, this borders on negligence. You know, which is which, which should make not scary, but should make you go, hey, we should probably look at some. Stuff. No, exactly. it should scare them. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, in my opinion, it should scare them, and it should tell them if I don't do this, then I am I am actually culpable in the bad outcome here. Well, there's a duty to I act. Cre- there yeah, sure. I have yeah. created you know, this opportunity for I, something I, shitty to happen. One of the things I used to promote when I did bottom uh, up was the training chief was is that I would have a a, a and a half day block. Actually, it was a full day, but a half-day block. Uh, usually, we, brought, we would bring Gordon Graham in to teach. Mm-hmm. And then in the afternoon, we'd draw, because uh, we couldn't do everybody, but everybody. So we actually uh, went down to the courthouse and went into a municipal court, took the class, and had a real judge who volunteered his time to play the judge. And we had people sit on the jury. and We basically went through three or four uh, different scenarios, okay? And you said you did this. Well, I've got, could you identify this as Exhibit 5? It's your (laughs) SOP. Uh, You didn't follow it sort of like what the SOP says. Don't you think that's negligent, that you knew you should follow it, but for some reason you didn't? And I think when we start putting people on that atmosphere where, you know, there's a reason we have SOPs and there's a reason you should follow them. But more important is it's really difficult to fix that when you get into a court system and you get into the legal process. Yeah, good luck with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So of those 40 that do nothing with it, how many more um, near misses or... We've had uh, a few that's had a or, couple. Or made it to come back in a short yeah. amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. How many repeats, Don? Yeah. Uh, I think 17%. Out of nineteen percent, out of the forty. That's yeah. Yeah. Oh no, uh, no, or out yeah, of all of the maydays. All of them. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah. one department with multiple maydays. Yes. I know right. we've reported I multiple maydays. I'm not going to mention the name of the department because uh, I I don't do that unless well, I have their written permission. When we turn it off. You can tell. Us. No. <laughs> but this is this is a fire department that averages a mayday every ten days. Well, these are consistent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think I used to tell them that. Uh, <laughs> I used to tell their their training chief, "Damn, we're going to have a May Day tomorrow." Yeah, it's you day know, nine. type thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, well, Don, you you told uh, told me at one point, fire departments that are um, equivalent in size to Phoenix is um, are on average are having a May Day every sixty days. I think was yeah, the number about that. Yeah, about every sixty four days. Yeah. Would you so, would you say that's reasonable? No. no, absolutely not. Yeah, uh, uh, no bay day is reasonable, you know. Yeah. But accidents happen, and some of these May days are real accidents. Not very many, but there are. I, I, I think that, that that culturally, we accept some of these things when we shouldn't. You know, it's part of the job. No, I'm not sure getting permanently disabled or getting killed is part of the job. Right. I think we can say that, but we shouldn't practice it. No. You know, it shouldn't be uh, acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. By I, I, uh, I don't, not a lot of people have ever, if, well, I shouldn't say it that way. There's a great trailer to backdraft because there was three endings to backdraft and they only, they picked the one that was the worst as far as I'm concerned, where he says, we, you know, you go, we go. Well, 
That's the trailer. That, that's what they used in the movie when they're on that uh, walkway and it collapses. I've actually never said, seen Backdraft. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's, so, that. It'll help you be a firefighter. It will? Yes. Okay, yeah. I'll watch so, it today. Okay. I'll get it on Netflix. They had two other versions that they could have used, which they elected not to. And I, I always tell people, if you ever get a chance to see the trailer or you get a chance to see the other two versions, what you'll realize is those other two versions were really made for the general public and not for us. Oh. You know, just like... You go, we go, right. you know, type thing. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought, did you see Ladder 49? I did see that. Okay. That was good. Yeah. I thought that was I'm a more a realistic <laughs> May Day and what would happen, you know, where I've got to make a decision. We can't get this guy out. Let's pull everybody. This is a body recovery. Tough call to make. Yeah, Hope, for sure. I never, you know, don't want to ever make that. But yeah. the reality is when you look at Worcester, uh, in particular, when you look at Brent Tarver, I always tell people Ron Dykes probably saved more lives at Southwest Supermarket than probably anybody else. Once he was established in the rear as sort of the chief and the safety officer to yeah. keep people from going in. How much air you got? I got about 1,200 pounds. Nope, you ain't going in. Go and, they, and, and, and he had said, this is it. Yes. He's either coming out right now with this, with this last group of guys or... Or we're going to have to get them later because we're going to be done. That's a yes. tough call to make. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah, that's, but, that's, I, but sometimes they need to be made. And I, absolutely. And I hope that people have the guts to make that call when it needs to be made. We can't save everybody, uh, even within our own ranks. Yeah, if, you if, uh, if you're basing a decision in the hazard zone based off of what your peers are going to think of you or, or, or your uh, supervisors are – that, that should never come into no. play, right? Yeah. You know, and I hate to say this, and and uh, but you know, I'm I'm not so sure. Sometimes we don't set ourselves up with some of these May days that are really attempted suicides. Hmm. You know, um, because I know of one case where this is fact uh, that this was more suicide than it was May Day, because the individual involved had cancer. He knew it. He also knew that if he died in the line of duty, his family was going to get two hundred and twenty-five thousand sure. dollars yeah. right. compared to fifty thousand that was in his life insurance policy. Mm. Now, with that, and I hope people, when they think that, realize that you're putting other lives at risk. You know, you may be get off a line intentionally, take your mask off intentionally, and do whatever you got to do intentionally. But the reality is. Probably we're going to go in and try to save. Yeah, there's going to be an attempt to fix your problem. problem. We absolutely are, right? Yeah, Yeah. and we got to understand and recognize that. Yeah. So within our own troops, so I always tell people, May Day is not only uh, is not only an issue in regards to how we approach things on a fire ground, but a May Day actually probably I call them silent May Days, and I think it's May Days that we see coming that may not take place in a fire, but may take place at home, may take place in the public or at a station, simply because we're not noticing some of the things that we should about mental health. Yeah, yeah I think those get, yeah. those get missed a lot. So yeah. to kind of wrap it up, because we're, we, we're already past two hours. Are we? Imagine yeah. that. Yeah, okay, right? wow. Yeah, it yeah. goes fast. Yeah, crazy, right? Yep. I got a lot of info, so no, I don't know how that it. works. It's, it's, yeah, uh, Don, this, I know your well is really deep, and, and I could <laughs> honestly sit here and talk for a long time, yeah, but we're going to spare you. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's but 
but there there is a question that I have been asking everybody, and I think uh, this is a good one to ask. Um, and I'll ask it from the captain's side. You can ask it from the chief's side. So from the captain's side, I'm a new captain. You have vest, vested interest in me and my crew and my family. To help, to help prevent a mayday, <laughs> what would you tell me to do on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis with my crew? About four or five things. Number one, be the leader that you're supposed to be, not the follower. That's why you're a company officer. Uh, the second is, is whenever you have the opportunity, train. And it could be at a just sitting on the, uh, there's not much back step anymore, but, you know, <laughs> but when you do, after a fire, have to get, gather them up and talk about the fire, what you did, what you did that was good, what you did wasn't so good, what did we learn? And did we follow what we were supposed to do? This was the IAP of the IC. Did we exercise our part of it? And if we didn't, why not, you know, type thing. I think uh, number three is, is I'm a big fan of every Monday you should do a May Day. And by that I mean sit at a kitchen table and just basically, hey, you guys remember that run we were on this morning? It was an EMS run in that back bedroom with that woman uh, who was having chest pains. Don't think of it now as a woman sitting there having chest pains. Just think about the fact that you just fell through the floor into a basement. What are we going to do as a crew? You know, uh, the fourth thing is is probably probably as much as anything else is make sure you continue to have situational awareness of whatever the environment is, whether it's a fire, active shooter. Oftentimes, what we're doing is we come so we we focus so much and we have such a narrow view of what we're getting into that we don't see the big picture. And last but not least is, and I know a lot of guys this is hard to do, but you need to, you know, every once in a while vent to your family, you know, especially if it's been a bad day, you know, or you've been to a fire and, uh, and, and vent a little bit. I don't think you need to gush, but I think you need to vent a little bit because I think all too often um, we leave the families out of the firefighter equation. You know, we used to insist that once a year, every station would have a family night, and you bring the family in to eat. You bring the family in to talk. Uh, you do whatever needs to be done to maintain the framework of a family, and, uh, and I think that's important. And I think that we sometimes lose that simply because we get people roaming in and out, and they're rovers, and I understand that. But it, we need to maintain family, and... Uh, if I get a new person, I'm the company officer, and I get a, somebody roving in, you know, I'm going to pull them off to the side a minute and say, okay, here's what I expect. You know, uh, the, the other three people here, we've been together for two years. You know, this is our patterns of behavior. I may put you as the number two man not or a three person on the crew, not on the nozzle, because I don't know you. I don't know your experiences and so forth. I feel more comfortable with so-and-so. Uh, as the day goes on, that may change, and if it does, we'll make it work. From a chief standpoint, I, I think, again, almost some of the same things. Be a chief. Be a leader. Don't be afraid to, you know, address a company officer when it needs to be done, same way with a firefighter. Now, at the fire scene, uh, or let me draw, draw back a second. When you go to, as a battalion chief, when you go to training, be immense 
in that training. It merged to the simple point that you, you're part of that, that solution, not part of the problem. Actually put your pack on, crawl through the wiring, you know. So when I get that May Day and that firefighter tells me I've been stuck in a bunch of wires and I'm expecting me to get out in three minutes when I realize that ain't going to happen, I got a more realistic view of what that person's actually going through because I just went through it myself. So I don't think we involve the, the battalion chiefs in those trainings. Um, and I think sometimes they let us, or battalion chiefs let them not become involved. They just, you know, well, it's company training, let's get the guys trained. No, you need to go through the same shit that they do. Uh, third thing for the chiefs, um, probably more than anything else, is, is stay isolated in a vehicle. Uh, I don't know how other departments can actually do what they do. As, as it, an incident commander, right? Yes, now? as yeah. an incident commander. I know they do it, and I know sometimes they're not very successful. Uh, when I've got people shouting in this ear and I've got sirens in the background, I'm not in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment that makes it easier for me to work. It's going to be tough. You know, uh, we were recently uh, on my phone, I added a NIOSH app, which is uh, basically uh, background sounds. It's, a, it's basically a, a meter that determines the frequencies of sound. And so I play it when I go to some of the trainings where command is walking around the building. And these things are hitting over 90 to 100. OSHA would not require, would not allow that if they knew it. Wow. Because once you get over 95, hearing protection of some form or fashion that exceeds more than 15 minutes is required. So I think understanding we got to stay in that clean environment as much as possible so that we do hear every May Day when it's called and we react accordingly. So, you, so you'd be okay with uh, someone rolling up a window on an operations chief? Uh, <laughs> oh, that was a John Hinton story. Oh, I see. oh really? <laughs> yeah. It would depend. Yeah. I've done uh, that, so I... Yeah, I feel <laughs> confident, Don, in that situation, you're doing the same exact yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing. Yep, it's, yep. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's why, you know, uh, I was a fan uh, when I, as a battalion chief. I used to have the post-its. Red meant... Uh, immediate, yellow meant okay, or needs addressed, and green sort of it was okay. And I would, I would always tell my, my fit when I ended up getting one. For originally, we didn't have them. But when we finally got them, is, you know, put that red one right in front of my face because you're picking up something that apparently I'm not, and you need to keep me on, on my toes. It's, it's our game. It's not my game. I like that. You know? So I think that's important for a battalion chief to feel comfortable with the people that he works with, especially the fit or the aide, in basically making suggestions or bringing, hey, chief, did you uh, not see what's happening over here on the Charlie side? Oh, no, didn't see that. So leave your you ego know. at home. Yes. And, leave it at uh, home. But those are the two main things for company officers and battalion chiefs. And I think just being, you know, aware um, um, I think that's a, a critical component. I, I uh, when when I first come to Phoenix, one of, I, I rode a lot with two people, uh, Terry Garrison and John Hinton. And while they're while they're almost the exact opposites, huh. they are probably some of the best incident commanders I've ever been around. 
And if you're saying that from every instant commander you've ever met across the nation. Yes. Listen up, fuckers. Listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and and that. part here's part of the reason why. I think they had a tremendous dedication to the job. And I think they took it, the things they did not know, they wanted to learn to fix. And I think that's a big part of this, is making sure that, that we are what we say we are. I am the incident commander. I should behave and act like it uh, and make critical decisions, which some people may not like. We're going defensive. Why are we going defensive? Because I just said so. We're going defensive. I some see some things or hear some things I don't like. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what they are. Don't have time. Yep. Just got to live with it and understand that's my job. Soldier's mentality sometimes. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, like I said, those two guys, and then sort of throw in that third person, Nick uh, Bernasini, and you have three of the most unusual characters that you could ever ask. That's just probably saying it the most polite way you could possibly say it, Don. Yeah. But suddenly realizing that all that, when, you know, I, I always, I, I told Terry this, that one of the things that amazed me about those three is, is they were dramatically different. Yet when you ran, when they ran a fire, they were almost exactly the same. Similar, but different. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and I said, you would have thought you were brothers. You know, I mean, when you listen to you run a fire, step into the firehouse. Yeah, you're about the farthest thing from brothers, you know, Uh, closer to mothers than probably. But, you know, the the reality is, is that I think that I think I see the same problem with company officers I see with ICs. And that is, if you're going to be in that position, learn all you can from as many people as you can. And accept those things that you don't do well and fix them. Fantastic. I'm really liking how, I don't know, however many people now we've asked is it's 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 exa- a different person and almost exact replay yeah, of the answer. answer. It's I almost. love that fact. For yes, sure. that's the fire service. Yeah. I think. So what I figured out is I didn't have the intimate relationship that you guys had with Bruno or whatever, but especially listening to Don today, I figured out Bruno has an innate ability to pick the right person for the right task and ask them the right questions and motivate them the right way to get the desired outcome that he wanted. And, and I think I could be wrong, but it looks like he picked the right guy for Project Mayday. Yeah, I'm appreciative. If it had been for him, pushing me, you know, early to do this, we probably wouldn't be doing it anymore. But because of that passion that he had rubbed off, and I think as he used to always, the last thing he said to me, I, you know, that that uh, couple of days before he died, uh, as I'm walking out the door of his house, you know, he says, continue to make a difference. While you may not think it is, it is. Yeah. So that's Sound what I've sort of lived yeah. with, you know. That he said that to a lot of people, and it's meant a lot to a lot oh, of people. Yeah. It's, uh, I miss him every day. Oh. I, you know, I, can, I, I think about an issue that we, we hear or we see when my wife and I are sitting at our desk, and, I, and she says, I wonder what Bruno would have said, oh. you know. And I, and so, Just about daily. Yeah. yeah. So I sort of write, when I write my report back to the department, I sort of— Try to play Bruno a little bit. He had those that little book on uh, 
wisdoms, tactical truths. truths. Yep. And I always put one thing in every report that come out of that book, because I've suddenly realized that that a lot of people gets they're so serious don't understand that there is some wisdom in laughter or in sort of just having that, ah, I get it, you know, yep. type thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Want to wrap it up and I'll... Yeah, so uh, I'll just uh, say thanks, Don. Thanks not only for being here and talking with us today, but thanks for what you're doing for the fire service because uh, myself and many, many others really understand the gravity and uh, the impact that it's going to have. And, and we actually may not be able to truly even measure that right now because uh, we may be doing many things 5, 10, 15 years from now that you've uncovered and that you've brought uh, to light that uh, uh, will actually save firefighters and do exactly what Bruno said. It's making a difference. So I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's all we got. For we today. like to make the difference here. Often, that's right uh, and I think, wow. Well, <laughs> I think that's what, do you see what I just did? Yeah, I that? think that's what you're doing, and I, I appreciate the offer to come here and, and share Project May Day and the information that we've gathered over the last five years. Well, there's an open door, so we, when okay. you find something uh, that you really want to get off, then you're you're always welcome. Um, do you I may take you up on that in March or April because we're working on something oh, that uh, yeah. done. I think it's done. It's going to. It's a we're we're waiting to finish out what we call the pattern and trend, and if it continues at the path that's going, it's going to be a significant maker, in regards to what I call maker breaker in regards to some of the May Day issues we're seeing. I love it. So, yeah, we'll yeah. take you up on it for sure. Would yep. you mind if I shared your information nope, out, right out to the world? Yes. So if you want to get a hold of Don um, for anything, probably you know specific to May Day stuff, he can be reached at Donald. Abbott, that's A-B-B-O-T-T, at yahoo.com. The website is projectmayday.net, all spelled out correctly. Um, Their their motto is saving lives through research and learning. Again, if you guys want to give feedback to the podcast, please do. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. You can find us on Instagram at Make the Difference Podcast. Um, you can find our website right now at Libsyn forward slash make the difference. And other than that, guys, we want to hear your feedback. If there's something that you want to talk about, someone that you want to hear from, let us have it. I can be reached at the shortest email ever, be at reefbuilt.com. If you want to give direct uh, feedback, Chris can be reached directly at? At Red CP Stew. On Instagram. On Instagram. So, guys, thanks for listening. Um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again.